so I will call to order the regular meeting of the Peace River Town Council for Monday, July the 11th, 2016. <clears throat> and uh, councillors should have in front of them uh, an, an agenda. Um, and there has been a request to add four additional items to the original agenda that was advertised and, on Friday. Uh, the, and these are administration's requests. Bylaw item number two, a request for decision regarding first, second, and third reading of bylaw 1986 short-term borrowing bylaw. Item number two is new business, and this will be item number six under new business. It'll be a okay. I seem to be at the wrong. Okay. that I was on the wrong date. It's actually August the 8th, and the agenda was not as I read it out. Uh, there are, however, uh, it's August the 8th. Uh, there is one yeah. addition to the agenda, and that is, uh, this will be under section uh, seven. It'll be, uh, so it'll be unfinished business and it's for the Peace River Regional Airport Company. Are there any other additions that we need to put on the agenda or, uh, or are there any deletions? Hearing none, I'll entertain a motion to accept the agenda as amended. Councilor Burr? I'll make that motion, Your Worship. All in favor? Passed. <clears throat> we have uh, two minutes, two sets of minutes. The first set is uh, minutes of the June 27th, 2016 regular meeting of council. Um, I'm assuming that people have had an opportunity to review it. Are there any items that we need to uh, to uh, uh, clarify, amend? I would uh, put a motion on the floor, Your Worship, to adopt the minutes of June 27th. All in favor? Councillor Needham's motion passed. <clears throat> uh, that takes us to the minutes of the July 11th regular meeting of Council. Are there any uh, changes that are required there? If not, I'll take a um, motion to accept it as, as presented. I so move. All in favor of Deputy Mayor Manager's motion? Passed. <clears throat> that takes us to two public hearings. Uh, 
bylaw 1983. This is an amendment to the land use bylaw 1891. And uh, Ms. Modi, our planner, will uh, lead the discussion on this one. Uh, Councillors should have in front of them a uh, paper uh, backgrounder. Statutory public hearing? Yes, Okay, we will uh, open a statutory public hear hearing. So I will declare a statutory public hearing open and I will state that the hearing is being held pursuant to sections 7, 8, 230, 606, and 692 of the Municipal Government Act. Um, uh, Ms. Fallon, is what? What is the purpose of the public hearing? Here? Um, purpose of the land use bylaw amendment number 1983 is to remove Schedule A land use bylaw forms and Schedule B fees from the land use bylaw and amend Section 6 for notice and forms and to update the caretaker definition and regulations to provide broader applicability to a variety of functions of this issue. And what? Was the uh, public was a public hearing notice uh, put in the local newspaper? Yes, it was. They were advertised on July twenty seventh and August third in the Record Gazette. Were there any written submissions received and not included in the public hearing agenda package? Um, yes, uh, there's feedback from Northern Sunrise County and County of Northern Lights, both indicating that they have no concerns with the proposed amendment bylaws. We will need to. In, um, so there's, so there's, well, we should read both of them into the record as, as they're written. So right. those two were attached in the RFD. There's one from the MDP that wasn't. Okay, so just one. Okay, so perhaps can you read the one from the MDP into the public record? I don't think I have that. Have a copy of it this morning? I actually don't. It is a one liner stating that they have no concerns with the bylaw. Okay, we'll accept that as. We as can get a copy that can be attached to the minutes. Very good. Um, so, um, uh, Ms. Modi, you will, uh, as a development officer, you will uh, present an oral, provide an oral presentation. Uh, is there anyone in favor of the bylaw who wishes to speak? Will there be anyone not in favor of the bylaw who wishes to speak? Um, and uh, is there any person that wishes to speak besides Ms. Modi to the bylaw? Okay, um, so Ms. Modi, if you can clearly state your name and uh, your position and if you can make your presentation as uh, succinct but clear as possible. Okay, so my name is Alicia Modi, Municipal Planner with the Town of Peace River and the Kesa Municipal Services Agency. Uh, the purpose of Bylaw 1983, it has two purposes. First is to remove Schedule A, the land use bylaw forms, and Schedule B, the fees from the town's land use bylaw. 
and the second is to update the caretaker residence definition and regulation. So we'll go through the first purpose in a little bit more detail. Um, the, with respect to the Municipal Government Act, uh, the Act does not specify where landing file forms and fees should be located, uh, but it does address forms and fees in two sections, stating that uh, Council may by bylaw authorize the omitting of forms or other materials contained within a bylaw that can be more conveniently contained within a resolution and adding authority for forms or other material to be prescribed by resolution. And then within the section dealing with land use bylaws, um, it states that land use bylaws may provide for one or more of the following matters, including the establishment of any related agreement, fees, forms, or procedural matters. So the bylaw or the act says that you can prescribe that those things can, will come, but that they don't have to be attached specifically to that bylaw. Uh, with respect to the municipal development plan, our municipal development plan does not provide any specific direction with respect to this change. Uh, currently, within our land use bylaw, the land use forms and fees are both attached to schedules, similar to our land use zoning map. As such, any changes to those fees or forms must be done through a bylaw amendment process, which is three readings and a public hearing. And as outlined above within the, the requirements under the Act, that's not something that must be contained within the land use bylaw. Uh, administration does need the ability to change forms and notices on a periodical basis to reflect changes into in the uh, subdivision and development regulations and other legislations such as FOIP, uh, our land use development policies, and also administrative processes. Uh, by allowing the forms and fees to be removed from the bylaw, we will have the flexibility to make those changes without coming to council and bringing that forward at a council meeting. Uh, we did do a review of other land use bylaws in the province and if you look outside of the northwest corner of the province, we don't see these things attached to land use bylaws. So this is a quirk of northwest Alberta that we are slowly but surely remedying across uh, the area. Um, and then also the fees are currently also set by the town's fee schedule, which is a bylaw that was recently adopted. Right now, the fees in that bylaw and the fees within the land use bylaw are out of sync. And so we're, by removing them from the land use bylaw, we make sure that that doesn't happen again. With respect to the second purpose of this bylaw, which is to amend the caretaker residence definition, um, the Municipal Government Act requires that the land use bylaw prescribe uses of land and or buildings permitted within a district. Our Municipal Development Plan does not uh, directly address this type of use within the town of Peace River. Currently within our land use bylaw, the caretaker office residence definition means an overnight residential accommodation within a designated industrial area solely for the purpose of security for an individual business or industrial park. It may only be a may only be permitted in a single wide manufactured home in order to ensure that the this will not result in a permanent residential development within the industrial district. So that definition limits it limits any caretaker residence to a manufactured home and that severely constrains the types of lots that this can go on. There are definitely industrial lots within the town where a single wide manufactured home would not be appropriate or would be difficult to site appropriately. 
Uh, this definition is currently enabled within, uh, or this use is currently enabled within the industrial districts of town as a discretionary use. And if you flip the page over, you can see figure one. I have the uh, different industrial districts of town highlighted so you can see where this use is currently enabled. So the bylaw proposes uh, to change this definition to mean a dwelling that is accessory to a non-residential use, building, or structure for the purposes of providing security and or maintenance of the principal use on the same parcel by the occupants, such as an owner, operator, manager, or caretaker. So we've removed the uh, industrial nature of this use. Now we can apply this use to other types of development, such as commercial or public uses. And we've also updated the regulations that are associated with this development and the regulations that we've proposed ensure that the caretaker unit is secondary to a principal use on site. There is no more than one caretaker unit per lot. Uh, that a restrictive covenant is placed on title to ensure that the caretaker unit is not given separate title and to ensure that they have one dedicated parking stall. Uh, as of right now, we don't know of any caretaker suites in within the industrial areas of town. There is a <coughs> legally existing non-conforming caretaker suite at the Alliance campground at this point. That's everything that I have. Any questions from council? If uh, if I could just jump in on the uh, on the uh, the uh, the regulations, so uh, Alicia, uh, so the restricted covenant, so that needs to be a change in land title. So the cost for doing that, the proponent developer would have to do that and then provide you a, a new uh, land title certificate with that notation on it is that and that's that's on that's that's all on him then is that what it is yeah it would be written in as a condition of, of the approved but changes to land titles and all those costs associated that he would he bears those costs that's right. And once that's placed on there, can the owner of the parcel or a future on the parcel have that removed or without the town's permission? Or you're not, you're not sure. I don't want to say 100% sure. I just know there's some things with one title that can come off and it's not really desirable, but that's not one of us I'm sure about either. doesn't appear there's many questions today <laughs> so uh, and um, there was nobody that wanted to uh, speak in favor of the bylaw or anyone opposed or anyone just that was affected so uh, I'll allow you to make a concluding statement uh, Ms. Modi uh, you have three options before you this evening could provide second and third reading. You could provide second reading or you could choose to table the bylaw for a future date. Uh, so I look forward to your decision. Okay. I'll declare this hearing closed. So that takes us to uh, bylaw 1984. And I'm assuming this is also a statute, this was also fall under statutory public hearing procedure. So I will uh, declare a statutory public hearing open and uh, that this hearing will be held pursuant to section 7, 8, 230, 606, 
and 692 of the Municipal Government Act. And Ms. Fallon, uh, could you uh, just state for the record what the purpose of this public hearing is? Uh, the purpose of the Land Use Bylaw Amendment Number 1984 is to add stripping, filing, excavation, and grading as a defined use. And that's it. Um, was this uh, public hearing advertised in the, in, the, in the newspaper of record in this area? Yes, it was um, advertised July 27th and August 3rd in the Record Gazette. And were there any written submissions received and not included in the public hearing agenda package? One from the MD that I will obtain for the minutes and put with the minutes. Uh, do you recall, Ms. Modi, what the, uh, they, they had no objection? They had no objection. Okay. Um, so the, um, so all persons that are to give oral pro presentations are to clearly state their name and to keep their presentations brief and to the point. The order for the statutory public hearing presentations will be the the municipal planning officer, those in favor of the bylaw, those opposed to the bylaw, and any person deemed to be affected who wishes to be heard. So Ms. Boney, being the municipal planner for the town of Peace River, I will uh, give you the honors of speaking first. So you can state your name and your position to the microphone or the record. Okay, Alicia Modi. Planner with Town Peace River and Mackenzie Municipal Services Agency. Bylaw 1984 proposes to add stripping, filling, excavation, and grading as a fine use into the land use bylaw. Uh, the Municipal Government Act defines development as an excavation or stockpile or creation of either a building or an addition or a placement or repair of a building, a change of use of land or building, or a change in intensity of use and land. Uh, the Municipal Development Plan does not provide any direct policy direction with respect to this proposed change. Uh, our land use bylaw defines development using the same de definition as the Municipal Government Act. And we do not currently address earthworks uh, within the bylaw. So we do not have the ability to, to uh, manage applications for stripping, filling, excavation, and grading prior to the further development of, of a site. Um, because of the definition of uh, development, any excavation or stockpile or any earthworks that would change the use of land within the town is development and should be regulated under the land use bylaw. Uh, specifically, there are four types of issues with respect to stripping and grading activity. Uh, the quality of the materials that might be moved onto a site, uh, the traffic impact of uh, hauling materials to or from a site, visual impacts if we are providing for significant stripping or grading to the land, um, and potential drainage impacts. So the bylaw enables this use and as a discretionary use across all of our land use districts, which means we have the ability to say yes or to say no, and we have the ability to set conditions that come up based on the information that comes forward uh, in the application. And it also, the bylaw also proposes um, or directs administration to require specific information as a part of that application so that we can evaluate the impact of the development and set the conditions. 
to manage any issues that would be arising. Uh, I will open it up to questions from members of council. I have, <clears throat> sorry, this is outside of my real scope of knowledge, so forgive me if these questions are ignorant, but does this mean if somebody is landscaping their yard and they want to bring in dirt or remove dirt, like, can you just maybe break that down for me a little bit? Within the definition, there's a bit of discretion that administration has. Um, it specifically says that this is in excess of normal landscaping and maintenance requirements. So we're not looking to, okay. to try and be very finicky and deal with every single person who's trying to you know, change their yard a little bit. But we do want to manage larger proposals where they're going to do significant work. So how, what's the measuring stick for that then? That's administrative discretion, basically. If we had some, if it's administrative discretion and it's also something that would be managed if something came to our attention that seemed excessive. So unless someone, if someone doesn't complain, it, I'm, I'm thinking about in terms of on a site where someone has a house, someone's lot. Probably it's not going to fall within the definition if there's already a built house there. Um, if it was so much moving so much dirt that someone else was concerned and they hadn't applied for a development permit to do that, then, or if it came to administration's attention that that was happening and it probably fell within this definition, then we would contact them and give them a stop order and say you need to apply for a development permit and go through the process to make sure that that happens. That's not the intent of this. We're not talking about trying to deal with individual lots and... So would there be a reason why we wouldn't just exclude, what was your wording here, normal landscape or maintenance requirements? Because I'm just thinking there's some large lots in town and I'm thinking about when, when we developed our lot yeah. and we had a lot of movement of um, like topsoil and a lot of that kind of movement and I'm thinking I don't know who would have drawn a line in the sand and said that we were excessive or we weren't excessive and I'm just wondering the discretion part makes me nervous when we're talking about landscaping on residential developed residential lots so you're talking about when you were developing your lot no 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 it there was a house on it oh, okay. yeah but yeah. it we did a bunch of landscaping and I'm thinking about what we did when we did our landscaping on it mm -hmm. and I'm thinking somebody might have thought that was excessive mm -hmm. but that's discretion right and and so I mean who's gonna say or, I mean well, administration's gonna say yeah. but I mean I guess I don't understand why we would limit can I step in I would suggest that probably one of the key factors is impact mm -hmm. if, if your your work in your yard is not impacting anybody else or natural drainage or something to that effect, probably not a big deal. If it's going to impact your neighbors or uh, town property, you should have a permit. Okay. But you're, you're asking from a general point of view. You're, you're not asking for advice from this council on how to handle your front lawn, right? Well, you're no, saying, what's, I, I what's the general going to be the general rule? Well, yeah. And I, write the general rule into the... Yeah, and I guess I'm just thinking it just seems a little bit, to me it seems a little excessive that we would be, 
I mean, is there not a mechanism in place if somebody is doing landscaping outside of this mm -hmm. and it's impeding their neighbors or it's impeding uh, town property? Or is there a different mechanism that would cover something like this? Or would this be the only way that somebody could say, okay, you need to stop landscaping your yard because you're wreaking havoc on the community? I, I don't know. Like, I guess the landscaping part of this is just making me feel like it's a little... Well, this, this is only intended to apply if it's in excess of normal landscaping. But then I guess I'm, I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking what's normal landscaping because that is a very broad and, and I've had these arguments in my own home as to what is normal and what is not normal. Yeah. So I guess I just my worry is, is that when we're talking about something about a residential property, like I understand can commercial, industrial, all that kind of thing, yeah. but when we're starting to say something about residential landscaping, mm -hmm. I mean, Rod and I might have very different definitions of what's excessive and what's not. Or just the sheer scope of the size of a lot that somebody is landscaping mm -hmm. could have a very different impact on what's excessive and what's not. Yeah. So, and I, I would suggest that the, I mean, the major issues that we're trying to address, if those are the issues that are coming up, with someone doing work on their lot, then I would say that's when the town might consider stepping in. But really, this is more likely going to come up when we're dealing with a large lot that is undeveloped or that is a large industrial or commercial space where they're doing major amounts of earthworks. Like if you're, if you've got a small little backhoe probably it's not going to come up but if you're if you've got major equipment on your lot then that's maybe the time when so if we're stripping dirt for a new helipad uh, i guess we need a well if your helipad already has a development permit then then this won't come up this only comes into play if you don't already have a development permit okay very good any other questions? So, how did we regulate this before? We didn't, right? We didn't. And that's so right. that's what you're trying to put in tools that we can't deal with it. So, right. for example, when the town filled in that lot up on Weberville Road, we probably should have, if, if we needed a development permit, we would, would have had to apply for one. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, one last question. Um, if I decide to uh, redirect the water off my roof into the neighbor's yard, that's a totally different scenario that would be covered by something else, right? I'm fairly certain that's already against the town's regulations. Okay. So I will uh, now ask for those that may be in favor of the bylaw to uh, present themselves. Seeing nobody, I will then I will now ask for those opposed to the bylaw to present themselves. I'm not seeing much uptake on that. Um, and if there's anyone who wishes to speak and who feels that they are affected by this bylaw, please come forward. Uh, not seeing anyone or hearing anyone, uh, I will. Uh, allow you to make a concluding statement, Ms. Modi. Uh, and your recommendation I'm, is uh, second or third reading? Yes, that would be Or second reading and uh, uh, for now and then uh, table third reading for another date. If council 
feels they need a bit more time. Yeah. Okay, very good. Um, uh, since the presentations are made and there was there's no uh, further questions, I will declare this public this statutory public hearing closed. Now we'll get to the exciting part of the meeting: presentations. So the first one we have up uh, on deck is Northern Alberta Development Council, and I see uh, Brian Allen and. Um, I... Victor Solis is with me. He's my uh, okay. IT guy. He's going to help me make sure that this oh, thing actually okay. works. He's the IT guy. Okay, we don't just... have to rent you our IT guy. <laughs> <laughs> We're still charging him. So... Victor did not look like Janice Simpkins. You'll need that on. There's a few people with ten, ten ears in this room. How's that? Closer? Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for the opportunity to present to you guys today. Um, my name, of course, is Brian Allen. I'm the vice chair of the NADC. I've been on council for coming up on nine years now. It's funny how fast time goes. So whether I get renewed again in the spring, I don't know. I might be come to the end of my, uh, my days. So... Uh, as we don't have an MLA chair right now, I'm serving the vice chair position until uh, that position hopefully will be filled by the end of the month. We had a meeting with uh, Minister Billis last week, and he indicated that uh, the search is underway and they just have to do some work through the legislature to make that appointment. So we should see a, uh, a MLA chair appointed fairly soon. And there's two vacant positions on council currently, and they've given us the go-ahead to go ahead and advertise for those. Uh, those positions were uh, Willard Streptrock, who was in White Court, and Andre Harp, who was in Grand Prairie. So we'll probably see those uh, filled from people in those regions, uh, hopefully within a couple of months, I guess, as long as it takes for the process to advertise and get the uh, applicants. So. so anyways, I'll present to you today a little bit about the NADC and uh, the work that we do towards the growth and development of Northern Alberta. Uh, this presentation should take around 10 minutes, hopefully, if I'm quick enough. And uh, we'll include an overview of the history of the NADC, information about our council members and mandate, NADC's region initiatives and priority interests, as well as lastly highlights on various programs and resources that we have available. So NADC's beginnings. In 1958, NADC was formed as a result of the commissioning of a provincial report. And on March 29, 63, the NADC Act was proclaimed. So we're in our 50th year. It was mandated that the newly formed council would report to executive council through the minister responsible for northern development. Presently, the NADC council is an advisory agency accountable to the minister of uh, economic development and trade. We've just moved over from aboriginal relations. Although NADC reports to the minister, NADC works with other government ministries, communities, stakeholders, and industry to address northern Alberta's priority issues. As I said, uh, we are in our 50th anniversary, and after 53 years, the Council remains committed to being the eyes and ears of Alberta's north. We continue to be a meaningful contributor to the development of government programs and policies, champion of the cause of Alberta's northern economies and communities, and remain successful in establishing priorities for growth and development in northern Alberta. So our vision and mission, you'll see on your screen there, uh, our vision outcomes for northern Alberta are timely communication with government and northerners, 
Uh, skilled, educated local workforce, robust, diversified economy, sorry, and strong, vibrant communities. You'll see the, uh, the current council members. Like I said, there's seven of us. There's typically uh, nine plus an MLA chair. So you know, we've got myself, we've got Peter Braun, who represents LaCrete, Ken Noski out of Peavine, Pat O'Neill from St. Paul, Brad Sakowicz from Athabasca, Jason Schultz, Fort McMurray, and Eva Erlacher from Cold Lake, and of course myself, Grimshaw area. Right, and, and I take it you don't have to present a recent photograph. No. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> the NADC offices are listed on your screen as well. We have file locations in East River, Fort McMurray, Bonneville, and Edmonton. A staff of 18 support the direction set by council. The NADC office was first located in Edmonton. In 1979, the office was moved to Peace River, where it remains today, but the NADC maintains an administrative office at the annex at the ledge in Edmonton, and new office locations in Fort McMurray, Bonneville, as well. Core business, uh, number one would be advising government on issues and affecting Northern Alberta, outreach and community engagement, and supporting initiatives to increase Northern skill levels methods. There are five. We share and gather information through forums such as northern conferences, meetings, focus groups, northern elected officials meetings to provide insight and recommendations to government. We research, develop, partner and implement strategies to address specific northern economic and social interests. We provide support, input and advice on northern strategies. We deliver bursary programs and through a variety of channels we communicate with government and northern stakeholders. Talk briefly about our, our uh, region, its people and the economy. Uh, you can see on the map, our shaded in dark blue is the NADC region. It gives a little bit of uh, statistics regarding our, our land area, the population, and all those wonderful things. Uh, just to give you an idea, the NADC region's population in 2011 uh, was, uh, it contained at least 88 native languages, over 100 ethnic groups. Our region has uh, 19 municipal districts, 23 towns, 9 villages, 11 summer villages, 101 hamlets, 2 cities, Cold Lake and Grand Prairie, 2 specialized municipalities, 2 improvement districts, 8 Métis settlements, which is all of Alberta's Métis settlements, uh, 32 First Nations, and 3 treaty areas. Now we'll talk about some recent initiatives that have been undertaken. Our priority interests include transportation infrastructure, resource management, human and health services, and workforce development. Uh, as Northern Alberta's advisor to the government, the NADC council members engaged with communities and industries at various events over the past year. The information gathered during these meetings reinforced the NADC's strategic framework and focused commitment to current and prominent Northern Alberta priorities, such as Northern Alberta Leaders Summit, Leading the North, and Growing the North Conferences, etc. So on the transportation infrastructure, we've, we've highlighted three, the Northern Eastern Broadband Preparedness Project, the Transportation and Utility Corridor between Fort Mac and Peace River. I know that that's one that's been on the radar for a number of years. I think when I was on council, when I first started uh, 15 years ago in the town of Grimshaw or more, the, uh, the transportation corridor has been talked about and is still beaten about, so it is a priority for us. And then, of course, the Northern Transportation Advocacy Alliance uh, is, is another one as well. The, uh, as far as the quarter goes, the NADC Commission report on the analysis of the economic, social, and environmental impacts on the concept and principle of building a transportation and utility corridor between Fort McMurray and Peace River. 
Such a corridor could support two or more of the following functions, road, rail, water, line, power, telecommunications, cable, and oil or gas pipeline. And I think as Northerners, we all understand the importance, maybe even more so after the uh, the fires in Fort McMurray, of that, that corridor, how important it could be as another route for those people out of that community, and the, the trade that could take place between our communities and that part of the province. It just, to me, makes no sense that we don't have that, that connectivity, so it is something that we are lobbying for. Resource management, we talked about uh, the Water North Coalition, flaxseed agricultural research, and forestry products industry profile. I won't go into all these. I will talk because, uh, again, as a uh, municipal uh, administrator now in my, my new life, um, I understand, and you all understand, the importance of water to the community and having trained water operators and how difficult it is to get people in those positions. So the Water North Coalition is across northern Alberta municipalities are wrestling with the future of water and wastewater management and an aging workforce and deteriorating infrastructure critically challenge their ability to provide quality water and a sustainable supply. To address these challenges, Council supported a diverse group of northern community leaders and water wastewater partners in their efforts to form the Water North Coalition, who collectively work together towards finding solutions. Since its inception in the fall of 2014, the Water North Coalition now includes over 45 municipalities and water and wastewater partners across the NEDC region. The group meets four times a year throughout the North. In 2015, the Water North Coalition finalized its three-year strategic plan with the NADC's assistance. The NADC will continue to provide support to this new initiative through knowledge sharing, capacity building, and administrative support. Council will review the outcomes in 2016 and determine future direction support. But I believe that this is a, a group that gets together and is of high importance to us. And just uh, my experience in the town of Grimshaw, we've got a, a water operator who's nearing uh, retirement age and uh, we absolutely need to find uh, trained individuals and we're working on a regional basis with the MD of Peace and uh, the Village of Berwyn providing his services to them as we're trying to train someone up to uh, you know, take over and work amongst the three municipalities. So it's a really good uh, regional initiative for us and certainly a need across the north for those trained individuals. Human Health Services. Uh, highlight the Northern Health Summit, Grand Prairie Regional Hospital Economic Impact and Gap Analysis, and Community Best Practices for Economic Change in Northern Alberta. And I'll touch on the Northern Health Summit. As discussed at our previous Northern Leaders Summit that was held in Athabasca, NEDC hosted a Northern-focused health summit to identify regional issues and advance recommendations and strategies to address unique Northern challenges around health access, service delivery, attraction, and retention and rural and remote population health. The summit was held in Peace River on June 16th and 17th of this year. There were over 70 delegates from around the NEDC region and there were invited speakers from both Alberta Health and Alberta Health Services to discuss health workforce in rural areas, midwifery, indigenous health, mental health, and North Zone priorities of AHS. There were also a number of breakout sessions for delegates that facilitated discussions and healthcare needs, issues, and concerns in their respective communities. I don't know, I saw Elaine there, I don't know who else was able to attend, but I do believe that it was a, a, a very uh, impactful session for people. They had an opportunity to speak to uh, a number of different uh, stakeholders in health across Northern Alberta, whether it was uh, talking about physician recruitment and retention, there was mental health, there was Aboriginal health, there's a number of different areas that were covered, and I believe that the people that uh, attended uh, from across the North uh, came away with, with uh, a lot of information and certainly the request back to NADC to hold more of these types of things where they have access 
to uh, healthcare providers and uh, representatives, I guess, more so from AHS and, and, the, and the province. So it was uh, well put on. It was well hosted by the town of Peace River. Like the, the facility was fantastic, and I think everyone came away with uh, a, a real appreciation for this part of the world. Uh, workforce development. Talk a little bit. We have on here the NADC and FNMI bursary programs, Labor Education Applied Research North, Driving Innovation in Northern Alberta, and the Northern Workforce Scan. Now, the bursaries work to attract students entering skilled professions and retain them in Northern Alberta by a fulfillment of a return for service commitment. Since 2000, the NADC has awarded 3,584 bursaries. Demand for skilled professionals in the North and for bursaries continues to far exceed what's available. I'll speak a little more about the bursaries. Uh, in a bit. Uh, the other one on here is the Northern Workforce Scan. It's an annual survey of hiring intentions and labor force trends across Northern Alberta. The NAD survey, NADC surveys employers from a variety of economic sectors across Northern Alberta, and this year's survey is currently under development. That Workforce Scan is very useful for us. I sit on the Bursary Selection Committee, so for the last four years, uh, in the spring of the year, I'm presented with a package of around 100 applications, and we kind of divide and conquer. We receive about 200 apps for the different bursary programs, and uh, so we divide them up by uh, by batches, I guess, or, or, or certain areas. Like I might have got healthcare and uh, education this year, or whatever. And so, um, using the workforce scan, we're able to pre-score a lot of those applications. Going out and, and talking to industry and talking to uh, to business in Northern Alberta, they're able to determine which areas are we really in need of. So, just for example, say uh, a couple of years ago, they may have determined that we had a shortage of pharmacists in Northern Alberta. So uh, on the pre-score part of the application, uh, a student that's applying for a, for a pharmacy bursary would receive maybe more points than someone who was applying for an elementary school position, a teacher position, if we found that at that time that we had more than enough in the region. So uh, that scan's very useful and is, is available information to employers to be able to take a look and see you know, what's out there and, and uh, what, uh, what demand there is. So uh, Some other initiatives we've uh, been involved with. To the Northern Alberta Elected Leaders, Northern Development Ministers Forum, and the Northern Development Integrated Map. And I'll speak quickly to the Northern Alberta Elected Leaders. I think that, uh, I don't know if Tom's been to any of them, or we've had representatives from the town of Peace River uh, come to these meetings or held across the, the north of the province, the northwest part of the province. And the, uh, the NADC acts as a secretariat for this group, putting together the agendas and looking after, uh, you know, making sure that certain speakers are invited and and uh, the, the correspondence goes out after the meeting. So, uh, again, a useful group. We've got uh, members of the group are located within the constituency, constituency sorry, of Peace River, Dunvegan, Central Peace, Notley, Grand Prairie, Wapiti, Grand Prairie, Smoky, West Yellowhead, Lesser Slave Lake, NAEL members met with uh, Minister Larravee here in Slave Lake last year. And so uh, we are able to advance some of the, uh, the concerns and issues of the North through the government if we can get them to come to these meetings. So we'll speak a little more detail about the bursary programs. This one, again, is near and dear to my heart. Uh, you can see on your screen over 1.4 million in bursaries to post-secondary students. The awards range from 1000 to 24000 per year. It's a non-repayable return for service bursary. And apart from the regular bursary, there's also uh, following program streams, especially programs, bursary partnerships, Northern Student Teacher, Northern Healthcare Practicum Funding, and then the First Nation Mekee Inuit. Um, the NADC bursary is a return service bursary of $6,000 per year for a maximum of two years. It's offered to students in their final two years of post-secondary studies. 
It's meant to encourage students to train for jobs that are in demand, i.e. the workforce scan in Northern Alberta. Some careers in high demand now include education, medical and health, engineering and technical fields to social work. Uh, we also have the Bursary Partnership Program. It's, a, it's an excellent opportunity for business community uh, and other organizations to bring in the skilled professionals that fit their organization in the program. Sponsors provide the students that they select between one and $3,000 and then apply to the NADC for matching bursary funds. Higher matching amounts are available for the specialty bursaries. Students can be in any year of their studies. Recipients are obligated to provide a return for service within the NEDC region based on one month of full employment for every $500 of total bursary support. And I can tell you that uh, right now in our region, uh, Good Shopper and uh, Northern Lights um, and MDUPs are looking at putting together uh, one for a physician. And so we're looking at $12,000 a year that we would put in and that would be matched by NEDC. We just have to fill out the paperwork. We hope to uh, put two years of, of monies away before we actually make the application so that by the time we get going, we've got some fun ready in the queue. So uh, I think it'll be a good program for us, for sure. And there's a little bit of statistics on this screen that talks about the uh, the programs. In 2015, at a glance, there was 87 bursaries awarded, 10 of them for medical, four pharmacy, two veterinary, one nurse practitioner, 60, 68 of the partnership program, 31 teacher bursaries, and then 52 went to the First Nation Métis Inuit applicants. You can see the 33 healthcare, 12 education, 16 social services. It goes all across the board as to the uh, the different uh, areas. It covers pretty much everything you can think of. Um, the bursary programs are mar marketed through our bnorth.ca, so that website gives all the information that uh, one would require. They can actually apply online now, uh, so that makes it a heck of a lot easier for students. So I think they like that a lot better than the paper. And uh, push of a button, their application is in. It talks about the deadlines, uh, the links, the awards, bursaries, and scholarship booklet. Brian, how old do you have to be? What if I want to go back to school? You can would absolutely apply? can apply. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The, uh, the requirements are. <laughs> oh, I have them in here somewhere. Probably have to have a 4.0 GPA too. Your your marks do you play a part of the preschool, but that's not the be all end all. Oh. Actually, it's interesting is getting to go through the the applications. This last year, specifically the, the ones we did in in July, uh, you'd be surprised at how many people are going back to school. And a lot of the uh, like, as you get an opportunity, you fill out your your application and it's pre-score. But the scoring that we do is based on seven questions that they're they have to answer. Like, where do they plan on uh, in, in being in Northern Alberta? And sorry, uh, I like Red Deer because it's north of Lethbridge doesn't count as an answer. You have has to fit within the NEDC region. Uh, where are you going to? Uh, where's you, what's your career plan? Where do you want to be? How do you save for your education? Uh, there's a number of different things that they answer, but uh, a lot of them are finding that uh, you know things are not good in the oil field. I, I give up. I want to try something new. I want to go back to school. I want to retrain. A lot of uh, and it's not the 18 and 19 year olds that are applying, it's, there's people in their 30s like you. <laughs> so bnorth.ca is, is a good uh, opportunity for people to check out. Um, then NADC Online, we're, we're the, uh, on Facebook, Twitter, all those wonderful things that I don't necessarily participate in, but people like Victor know all about. 
Uh, we'll be talking about how to contact us, and that's about it. Thank you very much, and I'm open for questions. They said I had to do something off this script, so now we're good to go. So what is NADC's budget? You've got a very uh, uh, it, it's ambitious not, program. It's under $3 million. Without having the numbers in front of you, it's probably about $2.5 million tops. Uh, we talked about this the other day in Edmonton as we met the minister that uh, the um, the lion's share, probably around 85% of that budget is admin costs. So that covers everything from staff to the paper clips, the paper, and, and the expenses of, of councils. There's not a whole lot of money available uh, out of that budget to do some of the studies and the programs that, uh, that you know, that I think we depend on NEDC for. So there's a lot of... Um, work in the last bit has been on partnering, like whether they party with a Ready or a Preda or one of those groups, you know, and, and share funding to do some of the studies and work that they like to do. That being said, um, if there's, uh, the staff is very good in that if there's a vacant position and they know that maybe that's not going to be filled, they'll move some funds over and put it toward a project or whatever and run on a skeleton staff if they have to for a little while. So we're hoping for more funding, but I think when we sat at the legislature last week, it was Kind of similar to everyone else, every other department's asking for money too, so don't hold your breath. We have asked on several occasions for more funding for the university program. That budget hasn't changed a lot in the last number of years, so instead of perhaps, uh, you know, you have to you have to meet inflation, you have to increase the, the amounts of the bursaries to the students, the money will go somewhere, so it's at $6,000 now, so you just don't give as many away, as opposed to maybe when they were only ever $3,000 or whatever, right? So. And how much is the bursary budget? Oh, we gave away, I want to say, around $800,000 in July. Mm -hmm. It's not all for money. Like, so there's a piece of money that comes out of the, the NADC budget, and then the student finance is involved with the rest. Mm -hmm. We administer the program, but it's, it's not a big chunk of money from the NADC. So that's 800000 for all of Northern Alberta? For, for the entire program. That wouldn't include that wouldn't include the uh, partnership program. Say like if, if we had matching funds coming in from a municipality or whatever, that would be a, a different pot of money. If a student um, receives funding, say in one year, are they prioritized to receive funding in another year too? Not or necessarily. It, it goes back to the start at the beginning each year. It goes of? back to the quality of the application. It does. I mean, we'll tell you on the application form. It does speak to whether or not they have a previous history. And, you know, there's probably, I think there's six of us to do the scoring. Some may look at that, others may not. I, I like to look at the quality of the application. So having one previously doesn't necessarily mean you will get one. So if you, you do evaluation of how successful you are, like I work for Environment, we've been trying to hire engineers, techs, and we have not, like, to be quite honest, in the last two years we have not seen hardly any applicants from northern Alberta that have either civil diploma or civil engineering or water resources type mm -hmm. type education. I, I, like I'm just curious to know if, if students from northern Alberta just aren't going into those those programs or... I couldn't tell you, like as far as, you know, what programs they go into, the reasoning why, uh, you know, I can tell you that of the applicants that receive bursaries, the return for services in the mid to high 80s. So it is a successful program in that regard. Um, we find that most of them that, that uh, they get a bursary come back, 
serve their time. So maybe that's not the way to put it. <laughs> Fulfill their commitment uh, and stay. And because, you know, how many people do you know that live in this community or Grimshaw or Berwyn or whatever came here, you know, for a couple of years, 30 years ago? So, like, that's that's the whole sales pitch that we're trying to, to give to our... Uh, our ministry is that provide us the funds for more bursaries. It's a very successful program, and it will work out to bringing more people to the north that will stay. Once they get here, it's the lifestyle they want to leave. There's very few that, that say, you know what, I'm going to come back, I'll serve my two years in the north, and I plan on living in Calgary. You know, you're going to know by reading that application before you ever you know, take a look at, at awarding that bursary whether they're interested in coming here or not. And a lot of it is from within. I mean, you get lots of kids that are uh, students. I shouldn't say kids because they're not all kids, but um, that'll apply and they'll say, look, I, I've lived in La Crete my whole life. I don't plan on, on going anywhere else. I'll go to Edmonton for school, but I want to come back. Or I live in just outside of Grand Prairie. Um, I plan on staying there. My, my dad, mom and dad have a farm. I want to continue that lifestyle, even though I'm going to go to Grand Prairie for school or wherever, right? So it, it just seems like it's kind of like we've, we've heard it time and time again recruit from within you tend to keep the people that are the want to be left, so. anyone else just a, a quick question so uh, lots of sticky municipal issues around these days and I'm just curious uh, did the NADC council give any consideration to doing work on the MGA <coughs> review I know individually of course you're familiar with that topic but I just wondered did the NADC council Ever consider doing a position paper or there hasn't been a lot of discussion at my time at the table and I don't think is there any work with him on the MGA? No. Mm. Okay. Um, They're too busy building the road to Fort McMurray. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I know that there was some concern ish, uh, expressed as to the uh, the movement of the executive director's position to Edmonton. I don't know if you ever got a response back. Um, yeah, well, it was a polite uh, thank you for your letter. We will take it into consideration. Yeah, well, I guess that's what, where I was uh, <laughs> going to go with it. It was an internal decision. I uh, do want you guys to know, because to know, I know I had heard uh, uh, from more than a few people uh, that we should get some letter writing going as far as the concern that we were going to lose the office of Peace with us. Absolutely not. The intention that this this office has a director in charge here, as well as the one in Fort McMurray and and the other offices. And yes, the ED is uh, ED position is out of Edmonton now, but I think that's more for cross ministry stuff than anything. We now have moved from Aboriginal relations to economic development, and having met with the minister the other day, their intention is to incorporate uh, our office into the ED with the rest of the ED people, as opposed to kind of being stuck on an island at the annex of the ledge. So I think that if anything, having uh, Janice down at Edmonton, it will probably uh, help our position in, uh, in better contact with different ministries. Because we, yeah, we were Aboriginal nations for, for a number of years, and Pearl was our chair, and, you know, we got a lot of work done. And under economic development, I think it's a better fit for us. I think that um, having... Uh, access to more than just the ED ministry makes sense. Every time we were talking, we're talking health, we're talking education, we're talking transportation, and we need to be able to uh, communicate with those ministries as well. So 
I think getting an MLA chair and appointed as quickly as possible is very important for us so that we know that we've got the, the direction and then that conduit back through the government, right? And without an MLA chair, we, we, we can't really pick up the phone and, you know, we need to talk to this one or that one. It's, it's, it's a little different when it's from uh, administrator to administrator as opposed to that sitting government member, so. Any idea why the NDP didn't move to fill that? Like that should have been a no-brainer that they would get someone someone in that that political stripes. But I don't know. I mean, it's a year and a bit since the election, and we've been waiting with bated breath. Um, I don't know if it's a. You look around the north, and you look at the different MLAs and the portfolios. They're old, and some that are non-government ministers or non-government members. That might be a shortage. I don't know. I couldn't really say. I don't know. He assures us that something's going to happen within a month or so, so I'm looking forward to that. Great. Well, that was actually very interesting. I, I actually didn't realize that your mandate was as broad as it was, so that was educational for me. One thing, uh, this PowerPoint presentation wasn't part of our agenda package. Are you going to email that presentation to our executive assistant, Ms. Fallon? You bet. E. Fallon. F-A-L-L-O-N at peacesriver.ca That's pretty good. I can leave you guys my card if you want. I'm, I am closest to you as a member of NABC. Um, I know that it was that we were appointed kind of by constituency, so Peter Braun and Lacrete would be the Peace River constituency oh. member, but I mean I'm five minutes down the road, right? So uh, I'll leave some cards here for you guys. If you need anything, you want to talk about NEDC stuff, I'm, uh, I'm available for you. Great. Thank you. Okay. We'll get out of your hair. I know how these meetings can go. Thanks for coming, guys. Thank you. Next presentation is from Advanced Paramedic LTD, and this is, uh, and this will be Ms. Pamela Glendinning, and it'll be regarding a new service, non-emergent medical transport program. Uh, welcome, Ms. Glendinning.
Alright, so like Tom said, I am Pam from Advanced Paramedic. I'm here to present to you guys a new service that we're doing. Um, I thought I'd start off with just a quick overview on APL. Um, so basically, uh, Stephen Woodburn started Advanced Paramedic back in 1999, and uh, our main base is located here in Peace River. We do have another base in Edmonton that we operate out of. Um, our main focus is providing medical services. One of the medical services we operate um, is our air ambulance. Uh, we are the prime contractor for AHS in the Peace River region. We work with Northern Air. We staff two planes um, that are currently on call 24-7, um, 365. Um, private air ambulance is another service we provide. Uh, basically, it's to take um, the public or um, we'll also get insurance claims to get people back to home basically so if you're in Mexico you hurt yourself you need to get to the hospital but then you need to get home to a hospital closer to where you live um, we do that we also go on commercial flights to help people with medical ailments if necessary um, industrial ambulance is another service we offer uh, industrial ambulance is kind of my main focus has been for the last few years um, we, you know, cover oil and gas sector, the construction, forestry. Uh, we cover a lot of the special events here locally and also in Peace River. Um, safety training also we provide, um, most of our safety training is internal. It's for our medics to keep up on their certifications. Uh, we do offer um, basic safety training, H2S, CPR, and first aid to, to the public. So why am I here today? Um, like I said earlier, my main focus uh, was industrial and with oil and gas sector kind of um, slowing down in the last year, I uh, decided to keep myself busy. Um, I talked Stephen into supporting um, me in developing our non-emergent medical transport service. Uh, we did this basically because in the past few years I get random phone calls from people looking to move their mom or grandparent um, just to an appointment and they call and they're like, I know I can't call 911, but I know you guys kind of do ambulance stuff and can you get them there? And we're kind of like, oh my goodness, they're in a tight spot, we'll figure it out. Normally that included me asking my coworker Neil to help me get a spare ambulance, go help this you know, poor person out that needs to get to their appointment. Um, in saying that, we, it was just not ideal. Like, to have two people transport somebody who isn't in an emergency is just not necessary. To have somebody move um, from a wheelchair to a stretcher, back to a wheelchair for their appointment, back to a stretcher, back to the wheelchair at their house is just absurd uh, amounts of movements. Um, so basically, uh, that's where this kind of arose from and I was like, well, there is vans out there, wheelchair accessible vans, let's do that. So we purchased one and uh, basically we want to offer the public who are wheelchair dependent or just need an extra hand getting around safe and reliable transport. Um, I feel passionately that mobility should never um, stop somebody from getting to their medical appointments, especially because a lot of people who um, aren't mobile need to get to those appointments for pain management and to help them maybe become mobile again. Um, what do we offer? Uh, at the beginning of June of this year, we purchased the brand new wheelchair accessible van. Um, and I'm the current primary driver for the van. Uh, I am an EMT. 
In the future, we're planning on having EMRs operate the van uh, with their Class 4 driver's license. Uh, the other big perk to this is we want to offer that through-door service to go into a home, help the person out of bed or off the couch, into their wheelchair, into the van, to their appointment, stay with them at the appointment if necessary, and make sure that they get back to their house, put back in the chair or the couch to make sure that, um, you know, we aren't just dropping them off the door and trying to get them to do their, um, like, wheelchair themselves. Um, different calls uh, we accommodate and get, uh, you know, we, we promote ourselves as non-emergent medical transport, but really we're able to accommodate, um, you know, anything else too. Some people just need help going to get groceries so that they can still live at home, but they need to get there. Uh, just recently I helped a man uh, get to his wife's funeral, which is, you know, really sad, but at the same time I felt, um, you know, so we were able to help somebody who wouldn't have been able to get there if not. Um, and now in saying that, it is a private service that we're offering right now, so there is a cost to it. Uh, $50 an hour is the, the rate. Uh, within town here, we do break it down to a half an hour because it, it is just a half an hour, say, to points west to the hospital and such. Um, we do, we have done the Grand Prairie uh, trips. We do it in a day, so we just um, charge the rate for the whole day um, so that if the appointment goes over uh, time, you know, because it always does when you go there. Um, same as Edmonton, such things. So, um, unfortunately, there we haven't, I've been working to try and work with some uh, groups and stuff on subsidies for the seniors and, you know, maybe some grants and stuff, and it really just hasn't panned out. Um, most of the clientele that I've dealt with, it's actually family members who are paying, um, which makes a lot of sense. You know, I think of it, man, I would pay for my dad to get to his doctor's appointment or my grandparents. But um, as we all know, there's lots of seniors in the community who don't have the money and don't have the family members to help out. Um, um, okay, drop off in Edmonton, $450. Um, that means you get them to Edmonton, and you bring them back for that within that 450, or is that something else? Yeah, so drop off in Edmonton. So what normally happens is if you're going to Edmonton, a lot of people are going into long-term care and they're going to stay there for a long time. So we have that is based on drop off in Edmonton. Um, we will do a return. That means I stay overnight and we'll come and get you back in the morning um, for half of that, or like 450 plus half. So. So if someone has an appointment for a specialist in Edmonton, you would possibly take them and a companion to get them to Edmonton for the 450? Yes, and I, um, that, that's going anywhere we'll take, uh, we have two extra seats in the van, so you know, family members a lot of the time want to go with me to Grand Prairie or whatnot, um, that's no problem, I take them. And that wraps up my presentation, short and sweet. Um, Basically, it was just for you guys' knowledge of uh, what we're trying to offer and also to um, ask that if you guys know of any, you know, upcoming events that, that come up that, you know, I w could go and show my van and really get this out to the public's eye, that would be great, as well as any grants or any funding that comes across to kind of, you know, scoot it my way to say, hey, we might be able to have an opportunity here. So thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm sure Mr. Brian Taylor of CKYL will be very interested in interviewing you on this uh, service. No, it's a very, very interesting service, and uh, I certainly wish you the best of luck. And uh, 
Um, yeah, we, uh, we certainly want to be able to particularly get seniors and, and uh, people with limited mobility to medical appointments. Uh, certainly that's a priority for this council. So. Just one uh, one quick question. Is this something that you've, like, I, I like the service, but is this something that a person could possibly expand on and maybe discuss with Alberta Health Services as far as uh, relieving some of the, I guess you could say, load from Alberta Health Services on non-emergent transport from hospital to hospital? Has that been discussed? Yeah, definitely. So we did do a proposal to AHS. To, um, so basically they have a NAT van right now, non-ambulatory transfer van, um, but that's only inter-facility, so that'll take hospital-to-hospital -hospital transports only. Um, we are willing to take that on as well, and in saying that, if we could work our way on to having an AHS contract, then maybe um, the private side of NEMT could go um, non-for-profit type style, which I, you know, that excites me. That would be a fantastic way to go. Um, we haven't seen anything back from AHS at this point, but it's kind of an ongoing thing, and we've really just started this this year, and it does take lots of time for that. So, but yeah, thanks, Erin. So is this, uh, did you base this on a model from elsewhere, or is this... All, all out of your own head. No, um, I'm actually originally from Ontario. They do this lots in Ontario. It's all over the place. So when I got here and saw that um, we don't have anything of the sorts, I kind of was like, well, that's kind of weird because other places are doing it. So, And I know in BC they, they run a very large-style non-emergent medical transport service. So. Interesting. Any other questions in this kind of meeting? Thank you, Pamela. Thank you. So now we will go from land to air. <laughs> <laughs> and we will welcome the Star's Ambulance. Remind me of your name again. I'm sorry. Greg was here a couple of months ago. A couple months ago, yeah. So I brought better company this time. So. Yeah, you gave us a plaque, didn't you? No, the uh, presentation. The, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was in our package. Yeah, it was in our package. It's on the uh, it's on the website, the Civic Web. Just this, though, or is there an actual presentation? There's an actual presentation. Presentation. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do, you get, do you need to access to it? Well, I can, I've got a hard copy if you need it. Okay. Well, uh, we'll yeah, there's a few on the civic start with a little bit of a recap you know, about Stars Air Ambulance. We are available 24-7. Currently in Alberta alone, we are averaging five missions per day. Uh, we do have a critical care registered nurse as well as advanced life support paramedic. And also transport physicians are available. We have now currently Stars is six bases across three provinces and we have access to almost 100 transport physicians across those three provinces now. Uh, there is red patient referral system, which Greg will speak to on the next slide. And the fact that we offer the bed-to-bed, -bed, you know, a type of service um, or scene-to-bed as well. So it definitely reduces stress, especially on critical patients. Currently, uh, we are the first in Canada to also now have universal blood on board all of the helicopters. So this is blood that can be accepted by any one of us, and we're the first to bring this life-saving procedure now to the scene of an accident. As well, we, some of our latest and greatest equipment is the fact that we have the advanced ventilator monitoring and the video laryngoscope for intubation. And we also do offer, especially to all of the communities that we serve, critical care education and simulation training being that we are internationally acclaimed as a leader in critical care. It's that way of offering and sharing that critical care knowledge with the communities that we serve. So as Glenda mentioned, we also provide not only the flying helicopter part, but uh, a lot of medical oversight. So as part of STARS uh, affiliation agreement of Alberta Health Services, we provide uh, decisions on how to move all critical and, and what's referred to as red patients throughout the province. So these are any patients that are uh, critical care in nature or any patients that uh, require extremely rapid transport from one hospital to another. So uh, as part of that process, it's a STARS physician that determines uh, what's the best mode of transport for the patient, whether that's a ground ambulance, fixed wing air ambulance, or rotary wing air ambulance, um, and uh, involved in that as well as the destination hospital and receiving centers, so whether anything that's uh, Grand Prairie, a regional site like Grand Prairie, or a more urban site, uh, Calgary or, or wherever the communication is. So on top of that, physician involvement involves uh, caring for that patient uh, via phone, uh, satellite up and so forth during, during that transport. So the moment the rural hospital calls uh, calls for a bed to go to, our physicians are involved in that patient gets to that bed. Back to that critical care piece and providing that education and sharing that knowledge. So we do have two mobile education units that serve Alberta. 
Uh, last year, 1,416 medical personnel in 71 communities received this critical care training, as well as we were at Peace River Hospital in April of 2014, November of 2015, and again this year in May to work with your um, area nurses and doctors and uh, medical providers. We also provide outreach training. We work very closely with the you know, uh, volunteer and rural fire departments. So last year there was over a thousand landing zone officers that were trained in 68 communities in Alberta. And of course, again, there is no cost to the municipalities um, to be providing this um, opportunity to share that critical care knowledge. We have specific donors who believe in the education and safety components that provided the, the monies for the uh, mobile education units themselves, as well as the ongoing annual training that we provide and share. Well, as mentioned, I was here a couple months ago, of course, talking about helipad uh, possibilities in the landing site that we used at the Peace River Hospital closing. So, uh, you know, at that time, there was a lot of questions about kind of move forward points. Is there an ability to move forward? What would that involve? So, I'd like to just take a minute or two, if that's okay, to kind of discuss some of those kind of next steps. So, um, so as a reminder, just kind of a review of where we were and kind of where we ended up. So, you know, previously when we started landing at the, the hospital site uh, here, it was uh, what we determined as a non-built-up site. So, there's really not a lot of development around it. Um, over the course of the last uh, five or six years, uh, due to kind of, you know, kind of, I guess, urban spread and stuff, that's changed a fair bit. So, uh, as this slide kind of indicates, it's become quite built up, and, and by the looks of things, there's continuing development kind of going on around that. So, uh, from a legality point of view, uh, you know, from a regulation point of view, that's kind of inhibited our ability to land at that site currently. So, so uh, moving forward, and, and I think we talked about this briefly the last time I was here, but probably not in a lot of details. What do we need to do to move forward? So, you know, the good news is looking at that site, it, it's quite likely that that site could be a, a registered and certified site, uh, according to uh, uh, Alberta Transportation, sorry, uh, uh, Transport Canada. So, uh, you know, there's just a few steps needed. So, uh, first and foremost, obviously, would be uh, working with Alberta Health Services, both from a local management point of view as well as from a provincial point of view. So, it is their land, so at the end of the day, it's kind of their decision on what they can do with it. But, uh, Historically uh, speaking, we know that they are willing to work with municipalities to kind of meet the needs of the municipality. So, but you're saying Alberta Health Services? Yeah, Alberta Health saying? Services, yeah, sorry. And, and again, uh, you know, I think buy-in from the local management of the hospital first off, and then from a from an overall Alberta Health Services point of view, um, they have a, a what's considered a, what they call a landing site committee, so they determine kind of where they can put the monies and, and effort into kind of help that throughout the province. So. Yeah, I was looking at the one in Valley View just uh, the other week, and uh, it seems pretty close, pretty closed in. There's a lot of yeah, things around there. Absolutely, and there, there's no issues from a, an ability to kind of certify it. So, you know, at no point did we concern were we concerned that, that wasn't a safe landing area. It was absolutely safe, but just from a regulation point of view, it just didn't meet the regulations anymore. So, um, you know, some of the things that a person would have to look at that site, of course, uh, initially would be soil testing, some approach and departure paths. So this would be something that you'd have to work with a consultant consulting engineering firm on um, to, to determine whether or not there is safe approach and departure paths in there and what angles they come at, um, as well as soil testing just to ensure that it, it, that soil and that uh, area would support kind of crash loads, uh, potentially crash loads kind of look up there. So, so would you be saying that hasn't been done even though they've been landing been there? It hasn't been done. There was no requirement when it's a non-built up area to do that. So essentially when it's a non-built up area we can land whenever we want. So it's only when it becomes regulated and certified it becomes an issue. Um, 
It sounds like you'll need a development permit too. Yeah, you possibly would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things that site has going for it, it's already a, an elevated area, so it's basically sitting up on a big knoll there. And, and quite frankly, when you're sitting up there, it's sitting above most of the buildings kind of in, in that area. So approaching the parking lot should probably actually work out quite favorably for, for a helicopter there. Um, Alberta Health Services has, uh, particularly recently, is really kind of pushed uh, what we consider kind of, I guess, full meal deal for helipads. So um, heated underground uh, cement, that type of stuff. There's no legal requirement for that from a, from a Transport Canada point of view. Uh, a grass pad is completely acceptable, again, as long as it meets kind of their crash loads. Um, and then they just have to mark the area around that helipad in some way. So, you know, in the past, it's been done in some communities with paving stones uh, painted in fluorescent orange and that type of stuff. So there's no necessary requirement to put in a large amount of infrastructure there from that Transport Canada point of view. Um, over at Health Services, again, being their, their property, they may have some kind of differing kind of opinions on what they want put there, but from a legal point of view, no requirements. But uh, it does require some a lighted windsock, some sort of lighting for the pad. Um, again, it doesn't have to be a fancy underground lighting system. Uh, there's examples of uh, using solar lighting and even portable lighting at, at times, similar to what we would have used when it was a, when a temporary site. We put on portable, portable lights at night. Um, some of the sites uh, throughout the province and uh, across the three provinces we operate actually don't have any lighting at all. So when we fly under what's uh, considered a night vision goggle exemption because uh, we can use night vision goggles so they can certify it's a daytime pad and uh, allow us to land there. And that very much just depends on, on the type of approach and parts of that. So that's where a consultant worker would be able to help you out with that. Um, requires some sort of access control. So that can and doesn't have to include uh, stuff like fencing or just security out while we're landing. So, is traditionally what we've done anyway, so there's always been uh, hospital security out there while you're landing to make sure that nobody's kind of uh, coming underneath the helicopter. So, um, some sort of obstacle lighting that may be a requirement there. Again, just lighting kind of with some of those newer buildings, kind of some of the corners and stuff to make sure we can see it at night. And then, of course, the certification uh, and manual for the certification that you're going to and help you out. So, um, where you know it definitely could be a large scale project, it most definitely doesn't have to be. So, and I think that's kind of the take home message is that uh, you know, it's a Really, what Transport Canada is looking for is an equivalent level of safety, just to kind of show, show that we've kind of got our eyes on the project to make sure we know what we're So, I wanted to bring you some statistics as well for a town of Peace River. So, giving you an idea, uh, like in last six years, a, a total breakdown. So, you're averaging about 13 missions per year from your hospital, for, including you know, inter facility transfers from Peace River Hospital to a higher level of care, as well as uh, scene calls within your immediate area. And also then, Peace River as a receiving hospital, because especially in cases of heart attack or, or stroke, you know, with your capability of having the CAT scanner, so there has been times when your hospital has also been a receiving hospital that we have delivered to. So averaging about four missions per, per year in addition to those <coughs> other missions. And then of course, working with your neighbors and how Peace River is a central hub in the northern area and that you have the hospital available. So also then um, averaging about 23 to four, 24 missions per year within your neighboring municipalities and the types of missions that are happening there, happening within those municipalities. So looking to the future, the, the, um, the real focus here was to bring you some key information and also to show you some opportunities. I know that you've recently um, 
you're also in a cost sharing plan with the uh, Shell Rotary House, which is, you know, looking to the future and growth and advancement and, you know, looking to prepare for future generations. So that was kind of how the Valley View helipad was born as well. It was a regional investment. Um, I worked directly with them also to help to engage others, whether they were within the community or within the region. So just wanting to let you know that there are greater opportunities in the future to also do cost sharing. And Peace River Hospital specifically, you know, is an area that really together, all of us, including Alberta Health Services, your regional neighbors, that we should be looking to the future and, and taking, you know, kind of the opportunity to ensure that there is that advancement for timely delivery to and from the Peace River Hospital. So engaging regional municipal partners as well as Alberta Health Services. So as Greg had said, you know, we started locally with the local Alberta Health Services Administrator and then from there also worked with their landing site committee and then engaging community service clubs and local business through gift and kind. Um, this is how it was, um, the Valley View helipad was built, was you know, between the town and the MD of Greenview. They had a lot of the, the current um, equipment as well as the staff members that they could utilize amongst themselves. And so utilizing local equipment and staff is also a key aspect, you know, and for the Valley View helipad, they were able to come in originally, they had had a site, we had done a site and design in 2008, and it was at about $350,000 at that time for the price tag of that particular one. But utilizing all of the local equipment staff and the gifts and kinds, you know, from um, uh, local business, as well as engaging the community service clubs and, and everyone else, they were able to come in $100,000 below for a very nice helipad that we've continued to as we find now that even the, um, the call volume is increasing for the fact that that's there. What was that figure you just said for the Valley View helipad? They came in at just around $250,000 in total by utilizing all these other opportunities. So I just wanted to extend, you know, more information to you on the minimum requirements in order to um, meet regulation with Transport Canada and at the same time the very wonderful opportunities to work together as a northern region in order that we have more advancement in for the future generations. So we thank you very much for your time. Oh yeah, I have a quick question if you if I may. Um, do you do the same presentation to our neighbors? So go to the um, MDFP, or Northern Sunrise County, or whatnot? Well, I would. If there's an opportunity that there's interest, I think the, the beginning factor, the same with the Valley View helipad, is the, the town and the MD went to talk with the Alberta Health Services local administrator, and we need some insight from what they they're expecting or what they see as their vision and then maybe a meeting in the middle and engaging the landing site committee and then we can go forward from there by you know I can offer my services to help to work with the local municipalities.
and I'm not even that far yet, um, but based on your information here, um, their residents are 40% or 47% of the um, the people that use the helipad. So, you know, if, if they're even aware of that, that's just good information to share with them because, again, it's a regional um, asset that just because it's in Peace River doesn't mean it just affects our residents. So I think that's good information to share with them if you have the opportunity. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, you go to each of those councils to get I the do. Stories. I work with yeah. each council on a yearly basis, you know, as I have worked with you before. Yeah. And, um, How do you compile the um, information on where people reside? So, so these aren't uh, the stats, and maybe go back to it. Yeah. Stats are built on kind of where we've flown, so this isn't, uh, unfortunately, we can't pull addresses as part of kind of uh, access to information, kind of okay. uh, information really hard to access, <laughs> so it's as, as it rightfully so it should be. So this is areas that we've flown to, so where they reside, unfortunately, we don't have anything. Okay. So, so geographically? Geographically, where we've kind of gone to. Right. Do you uh, fly or land in high level? Uh, we have a couple times. It is a, it's a long stretch from Grand Prairie, so it's, uh, you know, more often than not, they have fixed-wing based in high level, and uh, Fort Million, as well as two aircraft based here, as you guys heard earlier. So. Uh, more often than not, there's a faster and kind of easier way to get them out there, out of there. But uh, we have gone there a handful of times in the last nine years, and when we do, we do land at their helipad. They have actually a beautiful facility there for their helipads. So that helipad's largely used by local operators, by local helicopter companies. That was in high level? That's right, yeah. Just to clarify on these particular missions, though, these would not all, these are all missions that happened within those municipalities, but not necessarily that they went to the Peace River Hospital. I understand. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions of Glenda and Eric? So is there a landing committee in the Peace River Ports? Like, is the, the Alberta Air Services, are they... So Alberta Health Services, uh, their landing site committee, unfortunately, I don't think they've mentioned the last couple months, just kind of the summer kind of schedule. Um, I know the Peace River landing site is on their agenda to kind of discuss because, uh, you know, the, our inability to land there kind of going forward uh, hit their agenda. I, that being said, I'm not privy as to kind of if they have a go board plan. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. So, uh, under bylaws, we have three items. Um, do people want to go through that and take a break, or do they want to take a break now? Quick five. Yeah. Okay, it sounds like we're taking a break. Thank you. pointed out to me, and this is why I rely on six of you, but uh, so it was pointed out by Councillor Ford that there were three motions missing from the July 11th should be minutes. three. Yeah. So, um, so how do we handle that administratively in terms of a set of minutes that were approved uh, earlier in the meeting? 
I guess someone makes a motion to amend. Uh, to amend. We can well, take, take, just take take a, a, a motion to rescind the motion to adopt the minutes from July 11th. Or well, I guess that's what we'll have to do. Rescind the rescind the motion pending pending the <laughs> corrections. Well, that's that's the approach we're going to take. So. Uh, um, we will have an emergent uh, item in here, uh, which is uh, July minutes of the July 11, 2016 regular meeting of council. So, um, who who put forward that original motion? That was Deputy So per our bylaw, we'll maybe just say this out loud. Per our procedural bylaw, um, one of the items here is a written notice of motion to reconsider or rescind given one meeting, given from one meeting to the next with a minimum of five members voting in favor is the only way a motion once decided may be reversed, reconsidered, or rescinded within one year after the decision. Now this, yeah, now this, this looks like it's for a notice to rescind or reconsider in the next meeting. What if you, what if you have all seven members of council in favor of rescinding that motion or adding Basically, if that happens, the way our procedure bylaws is, the council can do whatever it wants. You can actually vote to set aside the procedure bylaw. So, I think in this yeah. case where it was oh, you can. an issue of oversight oh, rather than, yeah. than something else, um, a simple um, motion to receive these items to, to uh, go with the minutes that have been received is probably just the easiest. Everyone understands the intent. There's no maliciousness or anything like that. So, so no. we should have a motion to. We'll still have a motion to rescind the motion to adopt the July 11, 2016 regular meeting of council uh, minutes as presented. So, if someone can make that motion, uh, yeah. and uh, then we will have another motion that. And Mr. Ford can make that that notes the that requires the the amendment for those three motions. So uh, who will make? Yes, Miss. Since I made the first motion, maybe uh, okay. I am making a motion to rescind the motion to adopt the July 11th uh, minutes. Okay, and perhaps you can also put down the number in the yeah. formal in, in the formal minutes. So all in favor of Deputy Mayor Manzer's motion to rescind the original motion on July 11th adoption. Uh, so that was that was uh, all in favor, or is there someone that's <laughs> voting in the negative? Okay, that was a unanimous vote at the record show. 
And so, uh, Mr. Ford, would you care to make a motion? Yes, Your Worship, I'd like to put a motion on the floor to accept the July 11th minutes as amended. As amended with what? Uh, Adding the three missed motions. And do you, which were? Uh, motion number one, Ford moved to that administration be authorized to sell the land lot four. Plan 9320618 to Alberta Transportation for $473,500, which was carried. Motion number two was Manzer moved that administration be authorized to offer East Link a lease that will maintain the current lease terms at the new location, Block 2, Lot 6, Plan 8121718, which was carried. And motion number three, Sawchuck moved to authorize administration to execute the purchase agreement of the Sangel property at Block 4, Lot 6, Plan 0123320 for the sum of $2,750,000, which was carried. All in favor of Mr. Ford's motion? Passed. Okay, very good. That will take us to the section now know, uh, that is referred to as bylaws, section uh, uh, six. Uh, so the first item under bylaws is a request for decision on bylaw 1983, which was to amend land use bylaw 1891 for second and third reading. Uh, and if administration, and I'm actually looking at Ms. Modi, this is the one regarding the, uh, the caretaker amendment. That's right. This is, deals with forms, fees, and the caretaker definition and uh, regulation. So people have one last opportunity to grill the municipal planner on this bylaw. I'm not comfortable with the the fact that it could be lifted unless we know what if there's that restricted covenant. So I, I'm personally comfortable making uh, taking the second reading, but I would like you to go back and double check to see what. Just to confirm that I'm, I'm I think if you have a restricted covenant, it's this. But I'd like to know whether a disgruntled new owner could turn around and have that repealed. So are you now making a motion to... Well, I, I'd like to make a motion to accept the motion for second reading, but I'd also like administration to meet before we go to third reason to, mm -hmm. to check into that, so bring it. So you're going to make a, uh, a motion to uh, accept bylaw 1983 uh, uh, for second reading? Reading and have the administration check into the restricted government. It's going to be a second. Okay. okay. Uh, uh, do, is there any other questions in this morning? Or does somebody wish to filibuster this Bible? Okay. All in favor of uh, Mr. Burr's motion? Passed. So uh, I, w I will ask if anybody does want to make a motion for third reading. Or uh, if not, we'll uh, we'll assume that uh, we'll just go to second reading, and uh, Ms. Modi will get that information from our uh, council that Mr. Burr requested. So 
I'm not seeing anyone wishing to make a third motion, uh, a motion for third reading. This now takes us to uh, item two under section six, um, request for decision on bylaw 1984, uh, and which is an amendment to the land use bylaw 191891 for second and third reading. And this, Ms. Modi, and just uh, succinctly, this is the bylaw that addresses uh, stripping, excavation, landscaping uh, in the town of Peace River. It, it addresses a use called stripping, filling, excavation, and grading. Okay. And currently, there is no provision in the land use bylaw for this activity or uh, governing this activity. Yeah. We currently don't have a use that deals with this type of development, and it is development as defined within the MGA and our land use bylaw. Um, but uh, have we run into any problems by not having uh, these provisions? I would argue that we have. We have had okay. premature stripping and grading that has okay. not been done with the proper... And this also would site. address where we have uh, vehicles doing construction activity, i.e. stripping, grading, and track mud and dirt onto our beautifully street swept, uh, or swept streets, correct? Would it, would it not, or...? If we are dealing with an application that's for this activity and they're moving a lot of material onto or off-site, certainly one of the things that we would be looking at as part of the application is the traffic impact and making arrangements to minimize impact on our roads. And uh, one counselor brought up the, this item, um, and I, but I think there's maybe six other counselors that are thinking, thinking the same way. The definition seems to be all-encompassing and uh, catching even minor, uh, it could conceivably capture even minor uh, landscaping. landscaping activities. So, um, so I think some counselors were wondering if there is a way to be a little more specific in the definition. Would you be able to comment on that? Is there any way to maybe uh, clarify the bylaw? Mm -hmm. uh, well, first I'll say that, I mean, this is specifically dealing with activity that is using motorized equipment. So it's, it's not your day-to-day -day stuff that people are doing on their lots. That being said, there not, are... Not everybody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, no, I'm just, I'm saying that because yeah. we did. And I'm sure there are other people with large lots in town that may also. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I don't know if I want to list the type of equipment that we had on our lot, but I mean, you ha we have a half acre, so we yeah. use large equipment to help us move dirt and whatnot. So I wouldn't say that nobody does. I, yeah. I mean, there'd be not many that might, but there are some who could. Mm -hmm. That's, there's always exceptions to the rule, for sure. That's true. Uh, Mr. Ford has a question. So I, I tend to agree with Councillor Banking. I'm just going to just give an example. 
because we had, uh, I won't mention any names of course, but um, had 12 ton of topsoil delivered to a residence in Peace River and uh, basically a big dump truck load and lots of wheelbarrow movement but we ended up purchasing too much dirt. So what we ended up doing is got, hauled a skid steer down there, hauled a dump trailer down there. So it's a bit of equipment down there, but it lasted an hour. So where, and I, like I say, I tend to agree with Councillor Banky because where is that line drawn as far as impacting the roads, um, impacting your neighbor, that kind of thing? Like where would that line be drawn? There's lot. There, there is quite a few. There is quite a few people that do use dump trailers, and haul and haul dirt in and dump it on the driveway, or they'll dump it on the, on the road, like right on the road in front of their place, and start moving it so it's there's low impact there. Yeah. Um, right. Go ahead. Uh, I will. I'll throw it over to my ringer here. <laughs> So I guess we're looking back to, to what the intent is, and the intent is that uh, con you know, if you're looking at it in terms of other areas where you would require a development permit, like a deck, a deck is covered under Part 9 of the Building Code, so it's, and we're requiring a development permit for that, or something that is fairly minor. And People may balk. Well, I've only got adding a four by eight deck, but you're still requiring a development permit for that. Replacement or new? Do you need that permit? For for a new, because you okay. are adding to the existing development. So, if like a remove, yeah. the kind of off topic, but a so removal of an old deck and putting on a new deck is that a yeah. permit? I think that's a personal question. This <laughs> so, but it is a good example of that in that when we're looking at stripping and excavation, are you changing uh, the swale of your property? Are you changing or amending the stormwater management plan on like for larger lots, but you like for even small lots and. It's not something you can really define by saying, well, anything more than four inches of topsoil. Because you may only add like one or two inches of topsoil, but it's enough to change the swale of your property. So now you're swaling all your uh, stormwater off onto your neighbor. So and currently without something like this, you have no instrument to go back at, onto the owner and saying, no, you should have had a development permit if you're adjusting swale on this property. With this, we would be covering that off under that. Now, if you, you know, we can always, you know, the argument can always be made, well, I'm not changing the swale or stormwater management of my property. And, but I don't think it's onerous to require a development permit for an owner to, to be doing that. If that makes that's what more sense. <laughs> I can't remember which bylaw it is. One of the bylaws talks about landscaping. You know, landscaping specifically is excluded from the requirement to get a development permit, but it's not defined it's what's included in that. So I've taken out 
existing concrete patio and put in paving stone, and I, my interpretation that doesn't apply, but I personally I think that definition of landscape, I think we need to have a little bit more oomph in what we really mean by it, even if it's just something that administration writes down, it's on the website, this is what we mean by landscaping. I, you know, I agree with what you're saying, I, and I think mm -hmm. we need, council needs to provide the administration with the tools to deal with the situation exactly like you, like you described. Uh, and, where and someone's can look change at alter, altering the flow of water and putting it on their neighbor. Like, yeah. if we don't have a tool that you can deal with it, what do you do? Yeah. And we can probably, you know, define what is meant for landscaping in terms of this to exclude things like uh, brickworks. And, but even that Well, one. I was going to say that's another prime example in this town where people will terrace. You know, there's lots of hills and stuff in their backyards. They'll terrace or terraced beds, whatever, yeah. right? So, and you could use some pretty heavy equipment to do some of that work. So but that would be, no, requiring a development permit for that would be no more onerous than requiring a person to pull out a development permit for a deck. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it's onerous or not. Yeah. Is it necessary? So. Right, that's I guess my question. Uh, to, you know, like, go back to what the intent is. The intent is to, uh, ensure that people aren't changing the swells so or property. Can we or not stipulate that then rather than being, because maybe I'm missing it, but I feel like it's vague. And we are saying at this particular point in time, your interpretation of it is that the town wouldn't have an issue with it unless they're changing the, the, the grade or the, sorry, I don't know what the, the other swell. one was, swell of the property. But five, ten years from now, if you're not still here, and we have somebody else with a different interpretation of what that means, then I, like, when this is left up to the discretion of administration, that's where I get nervous. Like, I feel like if it's, if, if really the intent is to address the, the grade or the swell of the property, then honestly, I feel that that's what should be, that's what we should be focusing on, not whether or not it's mechanized machinery that's doing this movement of, of earthworks or whether it's, um, you know, normal landscaping, because again, I feel like that that's open to interpretation of what is normal landscaping, because guaranteed people have different definitions of what that means. So can we not have this where we actually are addressing the, the intent of the bylaw rather than having so much, what I feel is, is ambiguity or open, too much, too much open-endedness that, you know, when the people change and the interpretations change, it, you know, it may get hard, and you and you you know what you might be right. It may not be onerous to get a development permit for that, but if you don't need it, then it saves you the time and the energy and the because you, you have two weeks, you have to wait before you can do anything. We have a very short season in which anybody can do any of this kind of work. Um, it's I just if we don't have to do it, why do it? Yeah. So we can expand the definition of landscaping to perhaps look at. Uh, landscaping, whereas it affects these certain conditions, whether it affects the swale of the property, where it affects the, the soil stability of the property, so we're not looking at a situation where a slope may slough onto a neighbor's property, or, or things of that nature. We can be fairly descriptive in those conditions, and anything within those conditions we would require a development permit for. So it sounds like your recommendation, Ms. Modi, is that uh, a, a vote on uh, second reading 
uh, and you will come back with a uh, with an amended definition regarding lands with well with a little more uh, clar clarity around when a development permit is actually needed. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, I'm, we'll have to make a take a look at it once it's drafted those changes, but it may require an additional public hearing. Okay, fair enough. Well, the, certainly the benefit for councillors uh, with your change is that if anybody wants to dump a load of manure on their front lawn because of a, their uh, protest as a vote on their on their vote, they, these people would have to get a, a permit under your regulation under your bylaws. Is that not correct? So we'd have heads up notice. Okay. <laughs> I think that would be another uh, clause to put in there, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so is somebody looking to make a motion or, uh, for on second reading? Do they request to to uh, come back with a how should we word it? A uh, uh, less ambiguous. Uh, wording around uh, landscaping? Yeah, provide clarification around the terms of landscaping. Did you capture that, Ms. Ms. Mazza? Because it looked like you were going to make the motion. Okay, I'll try. Um, I move that we give second re reading to bylaw 1984, um, but wish clarification on the definition of landscaping before third reading. Is that too much? No, I think that's good. All in favor? Uh, this is a this is a request for a decision on bylaw in 1987, and this bylaw will rescind bylaws 1974 and 1980. Uh, and this uh, looks like it's a community services bylaw. And um, it deals with municipal heritage resources. I'm actually going to get uh, Deputy uh, Director Tanya Bell to give us a bit of a synopsis because uh, I can't remember all the details around this particular file. This is um, an, an unfortunate administrative learning opportunity. Um, <laughs> we have discovered after amending our original municipal resources bylaw for the Masonic Lodge that uh, titles will not accept amendments to title. So they will only put on title an original bylaw and not amendments. Therefore, we have to go back and rescind the amendment and the original bylaw and put in place a new bylaw which has the correct address in this bylaw which was the amendment to the original designation. So we have learned our lesson um, to ensure there are no mistakes in historic designation bylaws. So we are presenting to you very humbly a new bylaw 1987, which de designates the Masonic Lodge at 9904 98th Street as a municipal historic resource. And this bylaw will rescind bylaw 1974 and bylaw 1980 and will allow us to put 
put this bylaw on title for this location. I'll make make a motion, Your Worship, to give first reading to bylaw 1987. Okay. All in favor? I would put a motion on the floor, Your Worship, for second reading for bylaw 1987. You don't wish to debate this? I don't. <laughs> All in favor? Okay. Do I hear? Uh, I put a motion on the floor to take uh, bylaw 1987 to third reading. All in favor? I don't think anyone wants to make a motion on the third I'll make your motion. Well, go ahead. I'll make a motion short to give third reading to bylaw 1987. All in favor? Thank Passed. you. Okay, uh, unfinished business. I think you need to get back up your time. Airport. Airport. Oh, Your Worship, I'm going to excuse myself on this because of my place of employment. Okay. So who will be leading the discussion on this item? Mr. Tan, will that be you? Uh, I could. Councillor Needham is a board okay. member could do it also. Yeah. Boy, did that, did that fall ever bounce on the table real quick, didn't it? So, uh, ho hopefully this is a discussion that's equivalent to the bylaw in 1987. Uh, this is a, uh, so, council, some time ago, we agreed to sign. I'll just recap very quickly what I think all this paper is that everybody has. Uh, previously, council agreed, and we unanimously passed a motion to form the Peace River Airport Society as a new governing body. Uh, sometime later, a lawyer sent the paper in, and we get a, a an amendment back at the eleventh hour that basically says that we can't the Airport Society and the reason being there was a change in the Municipal Government Act recently that basically said if it's a service that a municipality can provide and airport services is such a service that the option of the society is not available to you so um, in, in short I guess the, uh, the the recommendation is to form a part nine company now this is a company that's same as a waste management company that we've got uh, at the uh, East Peace uh, landfill. So I, I don't, I, we can spend some time debating this stuff if, if, if council wishes, but from my perspective, this is just a name change. Uh, the, the structure stays the same, the voting stays the same, the commitments for the municipalities stay the same. Um, nobody, we discussed this at a meeting Wednesday of this week and thankfully nobody at the table threw their arms up and said this is taking way too long I'm out of dodge uh, I think everybody <coughs> said we're still in so the decision was that all of the five uh, partners members would go back to their councils and have a motion on the floor discussed debated that basically uh, adopts the part nine um, management body and again um, there this is not to me this is largely administrative um, 
but again, I would be pleased to answer any questions or if, if I missed something. Um, yeah, I just want to correct one item. Is, uh, so the reason why we can't register under the Societies Act is because airports are governed by a specific there's a specific uh, legislation. Specific legislation, right. And uh, so, because now you can't be a society, we, uh, we are forced to adopt another type of legal entity. And the group at the airport society, uh, at this, at the airport committee felt, and, and you have the rationale uh, in, documented there from legal, as well as some notes that uh, part nine would probably be the best option. And the, there is a recommendation, is there not, in the email about what the motion should be? Yeah, I, 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 I would... Uh, you'll, you'll make the motion then? Sure, I, I, if you're... Well, you can make the motion now, we can debate it. I can, I'll just proceed and uh, wait for my colleagues to, uh, to jump back in. So I would put a motion on the floor that uh, the town of... Peace River and to enter into a part nine company for the Peace River Regional Airport Company based on the same criteria, funding formula, and terms of reference as per the previous Peace River Regional Airport Society application. So, a question um, this part nine business, um, the town is in equal. I guess legal standing as if it was a society, like it's no, no it, difference or no. It the I, well, I, I think I understand your question. Uh, under the partner company, if you're a director, you are afforded some protection. So uh, the example, an airplane crashes at the airport, so uh, there's a loss of life. Um, you're a director of the company, you would be held responsible because you didn't do your due diligence in your work. Well, that, that is not the case under the partner and company. You are actually uh, given protection under the Municipal Government Act. The society doesn't actually offer that protection, so it's actually a good thing. So the society, you'd buy insurance for that eventuality, but here it's automatic. We're covered. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I gather the, the society would do that. I'm not actually clear, but yes, we, we are covered under the Municipal Government Act. Yeah. And we can do other things like uh, open bank accounts. We can, uh, what was the other key one, Greg? It was a borrowing uh, bank accounts was one of the points that we could do a separate bank account. And uh, We had discussed other stuff such as... Um GST registration. GST was the other one, I'm sorry. The ability right. as an organization to apply for grant funding and, and other things that um, uh, an organization could do that a committee could not do. The discussion that we had was really between this partnering company and, and forming a committee structure. Um, it was The committee structure was quickly abandoned because this was uh, viewed as more desirable. So just like with our partner company, with the... Um, the Peace Regional Waste Management Company, the town has three shares. There's a difference in the number of shares. Is that the same way for this? Then we, the town, because we're contributing more than some of the municipalities, we would have more shares than, say, say Grimshaw? Yeah, well, based on the same criteria, funding formula, and terms of reference yeah. as per the Peace Regional Airport Society application. Yeah, so, so nothing's changing. Yeah, so it'll break out the same way. So we have, we have 
on that model, we're in for 40%. And the other four have got the 60. So that I presume that that's how that would break up. And each entity, municipal entity, uh, only gets one vote. So okay. it isn't it isn't a facsimile of the yeah, uh, Peace River Waste Management Company. Yeah, I just no, assume there had so to be. So it's a part nine company that's based on the original uh, terms and provisions. But the, like for a company, this is a form as any other legal yeah. identity for a company. You have to have shares in it, and so. Each municipality has the has the same number of shares. The funding is different then. That actually didn't come up. The that shares that didn't come up, but I would uh, think that would be a fair. Uh, so I think the concept here would be financial interest. So we have a forty point two nine percent financial interest in the in the the organization when it's created, um, and then that would probably transfer to the number of its shares. assets and liabilities. So if you want to. Do it on a share type ratio would be like two to five, or two to five shares, forty percent. Um, but it's really we're responsible for forty percent of their assets, liabilities. Um, you know, forty percent of their funding, forty percent of their surpluses or deficits, um, but only one vote of the five. All right. Well, I'm comfortable that move forward. We can start that stuff out later. Shall I try the motion one more time? No, the, the motion, this motion's already Good. on the, okay. the floor, and uh, people can actually read it in the in off the agenda. It's under email. So, um, uh, any further questions or other debate? Hearing none, I'll call for a vote on um, Mr. Needham's motion. All in favor? Passed. So I'm assuming the next step to this is the next appropriate meeting, all the municipalities come back and they say we voted on it, we agree, yeah. and then it goes back to legal to get the yes. documents drawn up? Yeah, and that should be, and that was a discussion point, and that should be done in, you seem to imply four to six weeks, didn't you? Yeah, so. Because all the, all the parties, all the other municipalities are meeting today or tomorrow. And there's an expectation, given that the same provisions are being yeah. kicked forward. Uh, once once all the partners agree um, through motion, Mr. Uh, Develt will contact the uh, legal representative who will start that process. So that will happen before they actually meet, with the hopes of it will be substantially done um, either before or after that, that uh, organization meets again. Okay, thank you. Um, so that uh, completes <coughs> unfinished business. We now have, uh, we're in Section 8, new business. Uh, there is a request for decision regarding this uh, sports club loan. And it's as if Ms. Dell is going to give us a, a summary of our briefing. Your mayor and worship, your mayor and council. Um, we have received a formal request from Peace Country Sports Club. Um, and to give you the background to this issue, there is an existing loan that has expired, loan guarantee, sorry, um, that has expired approximately a little over a year um, for a loan amount of approximately $56,083. 
the Peace Country Sports Club is requesting, uh, they're, they're asking for an extension. However, we are looking at a, a new, presenting the option of a new bylaw. Extending an existing bylaw gets very messy, and we've already had a couple of extension and amendments to the existing bylaw in place. As that bylaw has expired, we shouldn't be extending or amending that bylaw. So to be clear, we're looking at a new bylaw. They use the wording uh, extending, amending, but um, just for, for clarity, we are looking at a new bylaw. But that existing bylaw was a guarantee for a loan of 56000 and they are, at this point, uh, have not paid off $22,300 of that original loan amount to a local lending agency. They are asking for a loan guarantee so they can guarantee a lower rate of interest that they would have to pay. That's a major component of why nonprofits look for a loan guarantee from a, a municipality. And they are asking, even though they have uh, 22,000 outstanding, they're asking for 30,000 because there is a invoice they're unable to pay to date for a heating, some heating um, repairs that were done on the court side of the building. Not what council provided 28000 to the gymnasium boiler system upgrades. This was on the other side of the building. There are multiple heating sources in that building and we won't get into that because there's more furnaces than there are rooms. Um, they are asking for this loan. As per our processes, any um, guarantees for a nonprofit requires a two-week advertising process. I have not brought forward to you a bylaw this evening. I'm asking for council's direction and how you would like to proceed on this matter. And if you do choose to guarantee a bylaw, we would bring that back to a next regular meeting and start that uh, full advertising process and petition time frame of 15 days. Um, just to note, this debt is already calculated in our debt uh, load currently because it's a guarantee that was placed in 2009, if I am correct by that date. Um, so this was calculated in 2009 for the term of that guarantee, loan guarantee. Um, again, Municipal Affairs did recommend a new bylaw, if that is the choice you'd like to go down that path. Um, so administration is sort of suggesting that you're not going to change your access to um, any further debt that we can access. It's already tied up in a sense. So it's not new funds, it's just a, an existing extension with a slight decrease of $20,000. However, something to consider is they have not paid they're obviously not made the payments that they should have been making over the fi last five years. The, the debt should have been paid off in five years, and it wasn't. So that's a fact that needs to be recognized. Um, there is cautionary note any time that we guarantee any nonprofit's loan, because it does still place the town in a position of having to be the repayment agent if they default completely on the loan. Um, unfortunately, there is a history of, with this group and many other of our nonprofits, of not truly being able to pay, repay their debts. 
they're able to sort of keep their heads above water, but not able to fully pull themselves out of it completely. So facts um, does make it an easier decision. These are good nonprofits that are trying to provide a good service, and we always try to help where we can. Um, in this particular situation, though, there doesn't seem to be an impact to the town overall. One other note that is remiss in this report is the fact that we have had groups come to us recently. Last year, about this time, we had a group come to us. They didn't end up needing the loan guarantee from us, but we did decline offering that guarantee. So we don't want to think about being consistent also. So I present to you a hard decision to make this evening in regards to this nonprofit. Um, a question about um, the they lease the Albumer Adair Rec Center. So, um, can you just refresh our memories on um, the the future planning for that facility? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Yes, we've had a structural engineer through the building last Thursday. Yes, today's Monday. Last Thursday, he's putting together a report. Uh, this is Protostatics, who's the structural engineering company um, that we're working with with the uh, multiplex project. And doing a review of that building um, will provide us a report by the end of the month. We have met with uh, Peace Country Sports Club twice now. Our most recent meeting uh, was end of July, where we had a discussion around their future uh, potentially looking at are there components of their existing operations that could materialize itself through the multiplex um, options there, uh, especially pending what comes from the structural review, which we'll review with them and have a discussion about that and bring back for Council's final decision making through that process. So if there are some major issues on the structural Ish side of things, yeah. Who would be paying for the work? Currently, the lease is all work structural and otherwise is on the leaseholder, not the town of Peace River. The VC. But they've also told us that if there was any major repairs they need to be happening, they would not be able to do them and they would probably have to end up holding their club. Correct. As per the example of the $6,000 outstanding bill that can't pay for, for heating. So our clubs can operate basic operations and facilities we're finding, but when it comes to the major structural, mechanical, electrical maintenance of these structures, um, they have not been able to, in recent history, um, provide the funding required for that. Just curious, Tanya, when you had your discussion with Peace Country Sports Club, the, uh, the council change in policy on branding and opportunity to raise money, did that? Um, not to be off topic, but what I'm driving at is, um, are, they, well, are they aware of it? Um, I, I know you mentioned it by, don't want to put words in your mouth, but mm -hmm. some discussions about the Adair family was uh, prepared to move along uh, in terms of um, the or their name on that building. Yeah. So is the sports club, are they, are, they, are they just trying to survive day to day and not worried about 
whether or not they can find a retailer in town that wants to put their name on it and co-sign a loan on their behalf, or mm. or, or is that? The, this particular board, and there's been significant changeover in the last four months, maybe six months. I, I might be slightly off on my time frame. And changeover even from the previous six months. So the conversations we had with two boards ago, I'm getting my which was approximately about a year ago for the naming rights. They were very interested in sort of renewing that process, had talked to the family about the naming of the facility. This particular board, I'm not sure, they're looking at all options. That's a conversation I'll have to have again with them because it is a completely different slate of folks than were there a year ago when I had that initial conversation around the naming rights. Um, the, this particular group seems very organized, focused on um, improving programs and services, addressing some of their internal maintenance issues immediately, um, and the loan is one of the items. Everyone seemed to be of a different understanding than um, the facts of the situation in terms of what was still outstanding. So that came to light probably in the last four to five months that there was still a substantial amount outstanding. So they're trying to address that and come up with a plan forward. So that's my question. Have you seen the financial statements of the club? Like, like is, there, is it within their, their business plan to be able to meet this kind of loan payment? They have a basic loan payment, yeah. And they, they should be able to meet it. They're breaking even. And, and when you're saying breaking it. in there, but they're including, they're including, including that. Yeah. Including. Yeah. And that, what all does that include? Is that just their their personal use fees and their membership yeah. fees, all that kind yeah. of stuff? Not Basic any, operations. Not any extra fundraising if they did a lottery or um, did a casino, or is that part of what? Some of their long-term planning was a casino next year, if I recall correctly. Um, so there is some financial long-term planning, and that's what they're just attempting to do now is put together that plan because there had been such a, um, a gap in some of that planning previously. Um, they're trying to pull things together and, and figure out how they want to proceed forward. And some of the loan idea, or some of the, sorry, the casino idea was upgrading their equipment, getting um, better product in the facility to encourage higher usage, increase memberships. They seem to be putting together a plan now. Yeah, since Kelsey's. On the topic of the plans, I guess the other point that struck me, struck me about this was uh, the town of East River had an employee benefits relationship with this board for some time and for lack of better words it ended or maybe it blew up I'm not sure which so we're not there anymore so was that a result of planning and the seeking of higher revenues or was it what why did what, what was in their plan that took a customer such as the town of Peace River and drove us away what did they do? I'm, I'm not 100% privy to the exact information on that because I was not directly involved. But my understanding is the other uh, fitness business within the community provided uh, equal rate to what we were paying previously, whereas our current host was proposing a substantial increase. So we went for value of dollar. 
need a motion one way or another. Even Some if direction, it's for, yes. Even if it's a motion, motion to accept for information. Just a quick question. So, um, the guaranteed loan for thirty thousand would be used to pay off their current loan. Correct. Of twenty-two three. Yes. What is the outstanding bill for the heating system? Uh, six thousand. Six thousand. Yeah. Yeah, six thousand dollars. So they're asking for eight hundred dollar. So. Seventeen hundred, wouldn't it be? What's the extra seventeen going to be used for? Eighteen hundred. No. Seventeen. No, no, no. Uh, math was a twenty-eight. Why are we having this? Thank you. Yeah, seventeen. Oh, I'm left. sorry. Seventeen hundred left. Actually, you know what? I have two different numbers. I have twenty-two thousand three hundred in my report, but their letter says twenty-three thousand two hundred. So when I'm adding and I'm saying twenty nine, two hundred, that's where I'm coming up with my eight hundred dollars. So I, I believe it must be twenty three two. As opposed to twenty two three. As opposed to twenty two three. Yeah. Apparently, a little moment of just lost some money. So the different. Shut the doors. Whoops. Well, and we'll have to clarify which it is, but the total they're asking for is thirty thousand. So they're either going to have a wiggle room of 1800 or 800 depending on uh, which of the correct 22 or the 23. Yeah, but that's just a loan guarantee, yeah. right? Yeah. We're that's not giving right. them cash money. That's, that's just right. ensure that they can go to the bank and say, we would like your lower insurance rate. Up to $30,000, yes. You also have two clubs in your briefing now. So the other user that's in that building, do they sublet from the... Sports club, or do they have a lease with the town as well? Uh, Upstairs. No, it's all that's all part of their operating. Okay. So all of their users within the facility have an arrangement with the club. Okay. Yeah. Rent, lease, however they operate it. The concern I have with this, I mean, and I don't know where the rec committee is going. You know, to me, it would make sense for the town to move those that stuff to the new building because that building has got to be like the original part 60 years old and we know that there's been a lot of stuff I don't know you know we've thrown money in it for heating systems and again I don't know whether that's to been totally to upgrade those systems or whether we're band-aiding it and you know they could create or any time so mm -hmm. to me it you know do we commit to this 30 grand in two years for three years, when the when the the new facility's done, we're going to totally abandon that, and then then where do you need the clubs? Because then they owe money for the facility that. So in the meantime, Ron, what do you suggest? I don't know. That's because I'm, they're. I mean, we're we're at least two ways, two years away from the new facility, and the new facility will not have courts in it either. So there's a lot more to this discussion than just um, whether or not the sports club can is interested in operating out of the multiplex. And, and technically, the loan guarantee does not state that they are operating out of that building. It's to the society, the nonprofit society. So they could operate out of this building and still have that loan. Right? They've taken out a loan for a certain amount of money, and the bank said yes. Yeah, but they've, 
No, I, under, I understand what you're saying, but again, the only reason they need to loan is so they can continue to operate. And, and if, if the town decides, you know, we don't want them operating there anymore, then ultimately then the town, they, they would just fold and then the town would be stuck honoring that. I'm not, I'm not suggesting we should do that. I, I guess I, my personal view is, and when I've looked at other multiplexes, the kind of operations that are happening there would move to the, to the multiplex and that there should be courts moved we, over there. I, we have talked to them about which aspects of their business to consider. Could they move? Would they move? Would they be willing to move? It's just feeling it out and we, we've had that discussion with their board. And I think what we can do is um, one thing that um, Director Town and I had discussed is administrative processes need to be put in place, which are lacking right now, to stay on top of the groups to ensure one, they're paying off their debt as per bylaws and other guarantees that are being put in place. Um, and also that we have some checks and balances around those issues. And if anything is starting to slide, that we can address it quickly. And once we move to a position of decision-making around operations, structure, whatever the case may be with this particular organization, that will have to be a part of the discussion at that time of how is the loan going to be addressed, assets. There, there will be a tremendous a lot to discuss, um, and this would have to come into play, because they will have an outstanding loan, whatever decisions decided on that building. But I guess, like, we've had these discussions before, yeah. and it has seemed like we just kind of get punted back to administration. We let them go back, and they do their little thing, and the Cubs do their little thing, and then we have them come forward again, and they're making a crest. Like, yeah. how do we hold administration to deal with those specific things and say, hey, you know, we, we expect these, you know, your financial statements every year. We want to yep. know you're making your commitments. You want to see, you know, whether your your business plan really made sense or was made out of, you know, pipe dreams or whatever else. Like, how, how do we do that? Well, it's part As of your council. lease policy now that with every annual renewal that we receive a copy of their current bylaws, their financial statement, and... Um, your society status, ensuring that you're maintaining your registry status. So that alone increased the bar because we didn't have that in place prior to. Um, plus, any time that we have these loan guarantees, and this is exactly what was discussed today, that we need to put in place some sort of an administrative check and balance. And maybe we have to come back to council with a report on all of those leases and that due diligence has been followed annually with each group, we can come up with some sort of a, a report back, as it were, in a sense. That uh, building report you were speaking about, Tanya, when is it due, or when are they? We anticipate by the end of the month, early September. So with this specific item in regards to the loan guarantee, do they have to have an answer tonight? They're looking for sooner than later, only because they need to get this loan um, processed. The, and what we need to consider is then when we move to a bylaw process, I'd be bringing it back to next regular meeting, which is second Monday in September. Um, and then we'd have to advertise and then a 15-day um, petition period. 
So we're looking into mid-October by the time the bylaw could actually be passed. Well, and I think, honestly, we're talking about two different things here. We're talking about I a agree. request for a loan guarantee, yeah. and we're talking about the condition of the building. Yeah. And I'm not sure that we want necessarily want to mesh those two things. Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, I don't know about everybody else, but I would be prepared to put a motion on the table to accept your recommendation um, to proceed with the bylaw. <laughs> Or with a whole new bylaw. Well, that's the recommendation. Yeah, correct. That's yeah. correct. That's municipal affairs recommends with any loan <coughs> guarantee, no extensions, no amendments, you put in a new bylaw. Whether it's expired or not. In this particular case, because it was expired, absolutely. Not, off, not really, no. Plus, there was an amendment and two other bylaws previously. It, it's getting kind of messy. It's so, just nice and clean. So that still leaves them in no man's land, in the sense that that bylaw could be defeated. That is correct. However, so, we would then proceed with the bylaw process if that's the direction council is giving me tonight. Um, then I would at least go and do the paperwork in regards to it. And why, in the meantime, couldn't they pursue other guarantors? They could. Okay. Yep. But I. Are we the guarantor of first choice? And if we give them positive feedback, they're just well, going to stop? Here? And I would think because so. the repair yeah. was done to a facility owned by the town, yeah. I don't know who else would guarantee the loan. What were the other repairs for? What, were the other, what was the $22,000 for? The, the 56, I guess. Oh dear. Uh, the original 56 was, uh, and this is why I clean by law in history, yeah. Um, was I it was it facility repair? Like I'm, I'm not all specific. Of it. Yes, it, it was all facility. There was a heating repair charge. Uh, there was a couple of other ones. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Roof repair. Yes. Not that long ago, because we didn't we do roof stuff on that. Oh, they patched. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and their patches didn't hold. It. Yeah. Okay, so what's the motion again, Ms. Benke? Um, well, it's basically to uh, accept the recommendation of administration to uh, have administration proceed with the bylaw process to guarantee a loan in the amount of 30000 for the Peace Country Sports Club. Okay, all in favor? Just a quick question first, Your Worship. Um, in regards to the building, building report, that, could that building report possibly answer the, the question as far as well, I understand they might not necessarily have to operate out of that building, but before a person sinks any more money into that building, would it oh. not be wise to see that report first? That, that is the sole purpose of the report, is to decide a long-term plan for that structure. So you would use the report as the basis of whether or not you would put funds into it? Yeah. So all in favor of the motion by Councillor Becky? I'd like to put a motion on the table to have administration come back with the administrative procedures that, that Director Bell talked about so we can make sure that our administration is holding these volunteer clubs who are coming to us for money to account. I, I just To me it just seems like there's a lot of loose ends there that I, I'm personally not comfortable with. So, so could I make your motion a little more succinct? Sure. <laughs> Just, and can I make a note? 
any administrative procedure we put in place will not guarantee that groups do not come to you asking for funds. And unfortunately, it will not guarantee that there is not some level of, we can't operate the groups for them. And we're doing our best to educate and inform these nonprofits through our workshops that we're hosting. Uh, we're having a whole new set in the fall of due diligence of boards, understanding financial statements, what to ask your manager for if you don't get information. So there's still going to be, we, we can't fix everything, is what well, I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, I, I understand. I've been involved with boards, I understand. Yep. But the ones I went, it seemed like we knew when these things were happening and we tried to deal with yep. it. Then, and there is unforeseen stuff happens to go. Yes. But in this particular case, the original loan was in 2009. Yep. It was to be paid off in five years. We're, Yep. several years behind it and they have just barely paid off half the loan so obviously there was no clear plan in place to, to make those loan payments the way that they committed to back in 2009. Now, I understand it's a volunteer club yep. and there's been lots of changes and that stuff happens. But well, and, and the, the way it was explained to myself and uh, a couple other members of administration in a number of different meetings we've hosted over the last two years is we were reassured repeatedly that uh, they were close to the end of the loan, they were making payments, um, and that was the board's understanding. So again, there seems to be a lot of gap of information flow to boards. Um, so we're going to ask for a little bit more detailed information and not just a conversation. So we've picked up on some of the problem also. But don't we already have a bylaw in place for that? Didn't we already make some changes? In the to lease policy, yes. yes. Yes, yes. In the lease policy, you do. When it comes to guarantee, loan guarantees, or or loans, because we do have loans yes. to some of our nonprofits, um, in some of that administrative procedure of following up with them where they're at, making sure. Things so are is that a procedural thing? Is that something that we have? that comes here, or is that something that administration Maybe says? Director of Corporate Services could weigh into this conversation. So I think the um, easy way to deal with this is um, anytime there's some type of loan guarantee that council would approve, there should probably be some type of administrative um, agreement or contract with these agencies that, that really specifies our expectations with them receiving the money. Um, which could be uh, a gamut of things, you know, presenting or, or giving us your financial information is always um, desirable, um, but also firm discussions on, okay, well, this is for a set period of time, so we expect that this, this loan is paid off within that same period of time, um, plus we probably want proof of that, which mean, um, you know, a quick note from the auditor, if they do audit their financial statements or um, something signed by two directors of the organization that would sort of um, guarantee, not guarantee, but um, assert that they believe that this is being paid off um, per, um, you know, schedule that we would have agreed, agreed to. Do you still want to make your motion? I'd like that recorded, Your Worship, yes. To, to do that, I, I agree yeah. that that makes so sense. So you, you want a motion to, for, to direct administration to provide a presentation that will uh, go over what uh, what they have in 
place to provide oversight to societies and other organizations that owe us money? Not so much a presentation, because I think we've heard that. I, I guess I would like to see that the administration would have written down what those procedures are that they are using to monitor and check the stuff that are in that bylaw. And it, you know, maybe you're doing that, but just from what you said, I'm not. I'm not convinced it is. So. So, well, you still want a presentation. Like, what else is a presentation except okay. kind of telling you what we have in place to provide oversight to for for nonprofits to whom we have a with whom we have a financial relationship. Yes. Oh, that's good. Is that okay? Yes, fine. Yes. So, a presentation to that will. Uh, um, provide information on what oversight um, measures we take with nonprofits that with whom we have a financial relationship. Is that, is that good for you, Mr. Burr? You're making yes. that motion? Yes. All in favor? Against? Okay. Uh, nobody against. Um, that takes us to reports, uh, section, uh, thanks for the reminder. So, what was the new business? I had a, uh, oh, okay. form submitted, um, Basically, what I'm asking council, in uh, light of how some uh, conferences that have come to our town, usually two-day conferences or a day-and-a-half conference, um, they do bring economic activity to our town. So, there is a conference called the Grey um, Matters Conference, and it's held every year in different uh, places in Alberta. It is uh, basically aimed at people who work with seniors in, uh, through either government, municipal, or other organizations. It's uh, co-hosted by Alberta Seniors in Housing and um, usually municipalities. So, the next one is in Grand Prairie this September. And um, I understand that we might have someone going from... Um, administration already. I'm suggestion, suggesting that maybe a counselor would also go and I'll speak to that. But uh, my main um, purpose in bringing this forward is to um, bring a discussion as to whether the town would be interested in submitting an application to co-host not 2017 but 2018 in partnerships with other municipalities in the area. So, there's several things to this, and what would you like me to start with, I guess? Uh, well, I think you started already. Um, how, how many people attend this thing? Is this fairly large? Ms. Um, Bell, could you... I, I'm thinking 150 to 200. Yeah, it's, it's for ser um, service providers of seniors programming. So, for example, our home support, or sorry, senior services coordinator Amina Osman goes every year. Um, 
I'm, I'm thinking in about the 200 range. Yeah, their, their background, it says, attended by more than 300 participants from across Alberta and Western Canada. Whether that happens or not probably depends on location, but... Having been involved in organizing conferences before provincial groups and trying to get them to come to Northern Alberta, you'd, I, I think within two years, it, I don't think they would come. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a good idea. I think it's something you have to gear up for. But again, I, you know, I think it would be interesting to look to see where they bounced in the last four or five years, and they probably have some rotation in. I, I don't know that they would agree to come in two years to Peace River when they've just been to Grand Prairie. I guess part of my um, thought process on this was that um, we would um, also perhaps direct administration to talk to our regional partners and to see if they have an interest in co-sharing the hosting and the organization for sure. Well, I guess uh, we do this like the... Uh the summer games, the seniors games, we put in the application and we see whether we've been accepted and then we're accepted, we, uh, we run out there and we do all the necessary organizing. Is, is that what I hear? Isn't that the program that well, we adopted, uh, <laughs> Ms. Bell? for the various uh, sports uh, the, activities? The other thing would be to allow some time to uh, figure out what it actually might cost to host this thing. Well, don't so, you have to make your application uh, pretty quickly here? So, oh. I think part of your proposal, Elaine, if I read it right, was to attend this or have somebody attend and bring back some information that basically lays that out. You know, Could be the first Rod, step. Yeah, you know, Rod is probably right. They probably do have a process for, for picking I'd definitely be willing to put a motion on the floor, Your Worship, to enable Deputy Mayor Manzer to attend the Great Matters Conference in Grand Prairie September 20th and 21st, 2016. What if I want to go? <laughs> or if somebody else wants to go. Okay. I'll well, I'd like to make a friendly motion, and whoever does attend on behalf of Council would check into the logistics of hosting in three years. <laughs> okay, well then it definitely has to be Deputy Mayor Manzer. All in favor? <laughs> I thought I'd just go there and golf. <laughs> that's the Green Matters one. Oh, that's the Green, green Matters. Matters. And uh, is there another uh, motion that you want out of this item? I think after this discussion, that, that would be it at this point in time. Okay. Okay, now we can go to Section 9, Reports. So there are uh, one, two, three, four, four check registries. So uh, are there any questions on those check registries? Guess not. Or should we give people a little more time?
bit of a question about okay. why we would even have four registries with the dates all kind of screwy like that. They just come in at different times of the month. Yeah. So we do our checks on the same day of the week. So they, a couple of these lists are a little larger than the others. Mm -hmm. And then there's oddball or emergency checks that take up one sheet, but there's only one item on them. So um, it's really just two check registries, two weeks worth, um, with a couple of emergency or rush type checks. Look at these before, but look at there's a check for 2.6 million to Harcourt Law Group. Yes, is that that's the building account. purchase? That's the building purchase. Okay, right. It's a lawyer's fees for <laughs> <laughs> I just thought our legal bills got really high all of a sudden. So, okay, um, except for information, yeah. Uh, well, we can go down to the RCMP ones and maybe we'll. We'll make this an omnibus, uh, ex, uh, infor, uh, except for information. So there's uh, RCMP reports. I don't think anybody wants to underscore in those RCMP reports. Uh, there is also a uh, monthly report for June from Protective Services. And I believe Deputy Fire Chief Tim Harris is, will, is more than willing to field questions on that report. Whenever I see hazmat responses, I'm always curious. Can you fill us in, Tim, on what happened? Uh, those were the fairly minor ones. One was a natural gas leak at a household and the natural gas smell, which you handed over to Echo Gas. The other one was an uh, oil spill at the uh, co-op parking lot. Mm -hmm. Somebody dumped a gallon, a five-gallon pail of oil. We cleaned it up. Um, just a question. Um, fire hydrants. Um, a few years ago, many years ago probably, um, some of them were painted different colors and so on. Is that still legal to do that or, or not? Uh, so fire hydrants are supposed to be painted certain colors depending on the the, uh, the pressure and the volume that they can supply. Um, so the barrels are all the same color and then the caps um, indicate that difference. It was, I remember, quite a few years ago, I think it was through the SPCA that they wanted to actually, people to kind of adopt hydrants and paint them with animals and paint them whatever stuff. That's actually against um, fire code to do that. Um, one of the things I'd like to get in the future is a lot of our hydrants that need um, a program for inspection and testing and then actually painting to the correct colors. So I guess while we're on fire hydrants, what about keeping them clean around them? Like, I mean, I know, and I'm thinking of the ones out in my area there, you get a field, and what they've done is they put a six-foot flag on it so that you can see it out amongst all the dead grass or it's buried up to the over the thing in winter and snow. Do we have any kind of a, like you say, a check program or are we responsible? So there's a, well, there's a hydrant um, policy, hydrant maintenance inspection policy that we're developing and it's just um, being reviewed by engineering um, that addresses some of that. It does give some, some dimensions around hydrants that have to be cleared. 
So I believe the actual height of them is in the, for new development, it's in the municipal standards. But whose who's responsibility is it for keeping those clean? I know some municipalities, if you've got a hydrant in front of your place, it's your responsibility, it's, same yeah. as keeping your boulevards down, yeah. right? So yeah. is that is that our policy in this town? Yeah. It is. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know the boys, but snow removal is also if there is one on your property to, right. to remove the snow from around it, make it visible. Okay, thank you. Just uh, of, of interest for the um, structure fire that's indicated in this report, it was actually um, a very a good one for um, use of sprinkler systems, and it was in a restaurant in town. Um, the fire started in, a, in a, a bag of rags in the kitchen overnight. Um, it started the fire, it activated, it was in the kitchen, it activated a sprinkler head, the one closest to it, the sprinkler put out the fire. Um, because it was in the kitchen, there were some drains on the floor, so the water went down the drains. Um, so what could have, if that been no sprinkler system or non-functioning, it would have been, um, if the building had got fully involved in a loss of the building, it would probably be a $2 million loss, in, and that was saved by a, a $10 sprinkler head and a working system. So um, it's a very good example that we're going to use in the future when we're trying to push for sprinkler use. Was the question asked why they had a bunch of oily rags there? Oh, it's... Rags, greasy rags that were washed and dried and then put into a bag, and then they won't do that again. It does. It's, it's the first actual fire that I've really seen where a sprinkler has done exactly what it's designed to do, um, which is why we enforce, in commercial properties like that, we enforce the fire codes for annual inspection and verification that it was. Um, there's some major renovations, and I wouldn't let them or give them occupancy until I receive the final verification of the sprinkler system. And, uh, and it kind of justified why we, we do that. It's kind of nice. So that's a good news story. Yeah. I see um, you did four fire inspections, two at two like twice at two separate buildings. Should we be including fire inspections in the stats summary? And, uh, oh, it could be, I mean, this, I think, uh, we have talked among the directors of, of, of presenting the statistics, these kind of statistics in a, in a, in a unified, uh, uniform format um, from all departments. Um, and, and things like that, we will kind of look at what we can add into that. Definitely thought that that could be added in. People want, want to know what all the great services you provide for us, so I thought it'd be nice to do it in a table format. Anyhow, good. Uh, so a motion to accept items 9.1 through 9.5 ex Inclusively for information, Ms. Benke, all in favor? So that now we're at the information uh, items, section 10. 10.1 is an invitation to go to Slave Lake to, uh, to watch a crane and mobile lab operate at the uh, Northern Lakes College grounds in Slave Lakes. 
I would put a motion on the floor, Your Worship, that we accept the invitation as information. Okay. All in favor? And we have a letter from Municipal uh, Alberta Municipal Affairs on this is the collaboration grant, is it not? Yes. For the uh, to discuss a uh, fire services in between ourselves, the MD of Peace, Town of Grimshaw, and County of Northern Lights, correct? That's correct, yes. Okay. And, uh, and that will be kicking off, you know. Do you know, Mr. Harris, when that's officially starting? Okay. No, we've. We are soliciting what the options are. We've received some information from an organization who is looking to workshop it with us and our partners. Um, we're just trying to determine if that's the best value, best way forward, and um, continue to determine that over the next couple of weeks. Okay, very good. Uh, so a motion to accept that for information. Sure. Mr. Ford, all in favor? Um, Mr. Town, as the uh, acting CAO, were you uh, made aware of any notices of motion on our procedural bylaw? And then your worship. Okay, very good. Uh, uh, I, there's only one member of the public, and that's the media representative, Brian, Mr. Brian Taylor. Um, well, how about we'll just skip comments from the public and you can make them in your key communication items. Okay, uh, so we'll, uh, there's, there's no, uh, no members of, of the lay public anyhow. Um, so we'll, we'll uh, go past item 11, we'll go to item, uh, no that was item 12. We'll go to item 13, key communication items, and Mr. Taylor can uh, give us a synopsis of what he thinks the key, the key items were, the interesting items, etc. Et well, we have those Well, you are a radio station that plays lots of music, so I can see your interest in that. Yeah, we should make a point of advertising that, I think, even ourselves, that, there, that uh, service is available in the town. But at this t point in time, we're not subsidizing that service. Okay. Yeah, I would say that's... If you need any more, uh, further information on that, uh, please talk to Councillor Neal. Actually, he's away on holidays. I'm gone. Since I'm the other board member, uh, you can call me. But I'm pretty busy these days, so you probably won't get a hold of me. <laughs> okay, very good. Uh, so that was, that's the highlights of your night, is that? What I hear? Okay. So we do have Paddle of Peace happening, right? Paddle of Peace, yes. It's happening. 
And I, I thought I heard that at the ski hill, uh, a group might be organizing some sort of uh, run, but um, like run up the hill. Obstacle challenge. Something like that. So uh, if you, it's advertised on the side of the fish and chip van that comes in every Friday. Okay. Uh, Courtney Hughes would be maybe a person to contact about that. So, yeah, and uh, that will be in the middle of September, I believe. So we should offer to uh, to help advertise that. Uh, that will be held on Misery Mountain. Courtney, who Hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S. Check your email. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Bird, does she work at your department? Not sure. <laughs> you should know that. She's probably the, yeah, I don't even mention her name, but she's the land use planner, I think. Forestry. Forestry, well, yeah. Forestry? Yeah. We work for Alberta Forestry. We think. Okay. Is there anything else that you think is worth highlighting, Mr. Close off key communication items. Uh, thank you, Mr. Taylor, for attending our meeting. I, I see the Record Gazette popped in for uh, for a period of time there, but didn't. Yeah, it's the first time I've seen them here. But they're not marathon runners, those newspaper people. Okay, thanks. And that'll we'll take a break for five minutes, and then we'll uh, go on camera. You'll keep track of that? Thank you.